We be live. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. I want to admit something. Oh, boy. I want to, before we talk, so we're going to be talking about the news on atheism, religion, politics, culture, whatever, whatever we like, or whatever the community sent us. Um, I have to admit something, and I think everybody in the live chat already knows, okay? Rivka and Suze do a lot of homework before we cover the news, and I don't. <laughs> I just come here, and I just add my commentary, and Suze and Rivka have, like, looked into the news they like looked into their nuances behind different opinions and they they come with such interesting commentary and i'm just here just like learning from them what the first like i don't even know what the news is and they're just explaining the news in such nuanced and detailed way to me and i'm just like edu getting educated on what's happening just like the rest of the live chat and then reacting to it um for the first time right so there's a lot more work that these ladies are putting into the news than me. So just wanted to admit that. Um, but yeah, thank you to both Suze and Rivka for well, having such a recognition. <laughs> yes. But thank you so much for such interesting commentary every time. Like I, every, every week I cut, I get, I'm so impressed with like, wow. Like we have the best coverage. Uh, on these topics <laughs> because of you guys. Armin, is, Ghost Bunny is saying Armin is that one person in the group project who piggybacks on the other two and still gets an A. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. True, true, true. Um, no, but at least I admit it, okay? Does that count? No. <laughs> Kenji is saying, I look forward to these streams every week. Can't wait. Aww. Well, thank you, Kenji. Thank you, Kenji. And guys, like I think... We have some amazing news. We're streaming on LinkedIn for the first time as well. So hi, yeah. LinkedIn people. I don't know if they can comment. I don't know if that works. Uh, but now we're streaming on LinkedIn as well. So this is amazing. So we're streaming on Facebook, Twitch, uh, YouTube, and LinkedIn at the same time. Amazing, amazing. All right. Um, I'm hearing a little bit of call, but I'm not going to let that annoy me today. Um, okay, cool. All right. So can we clap for the first news? Yes, you, although you yeah. will have your own opinions on it. You're let's gonna, just, let's, you're not, a, yeah. <laughs> let's just give it a clap. All right, first news. First news, Saudi Arabia allows women to live alone without male permission. So the Maka newspaper reported that Saudi Arabia has formerly allowed single, divorced, or widowed women to live separately in a house without consent from their father or any other male guardian. Administrative authorities scrapped paragraph B under article number 169 of the law of procedure before Sharia courts, which states that an adult single divorced or widowed woman shall be handed over to her male guardian. In July, 2020, Saudi writer Maryam al Otabi, uh, 32, won a historic decision ending a three-year legal fight against her family, which sued her for living and traveling alone under the absenteeism law. Uh, under the old absenteeism law, parents or male guardians were permitted to file a report with the police against a woman in the case of her disappearance or living independently without getting permission from the guardian. Um, so I thought 
that this was very interesting. I, I already know what Armin's going to say, but um, just to give some people some idea of what the consequences of what this ruling are, they're really quite severe. So, um, well, not the consequences of this ruling, but what this um, penal code or what this law um, meant for people who were living there. So there were lots of young women who would reach out to me in terms of getting support and um, help in terms of their situations of persecution in Saudi Arabia. And so many people talked to me about how them running away from their homes, literally trying to escape life-threatening domestic abuse from their family or forced marriage, and instead of the police helping them, they are actually arrested and sent to prison for trying to run away. And then at some point they're sent back to the situation where they are, their life is threatened just to repeat. Um, so obviously horrible consequences for a system like that. And, um, so it's the bare minimum, but I'm glad this is repealed. Um, I think, I hope that this does contribute even slightly to the quality of life of women in Saudi. Um, and I'm uh, excited to hear what you guys have to say about this. So I just wanted to um, give a little bit more background to what you were talking about, Susanna. A few years ago, a young woman, and I unfortunately don't remember her name, was leaving Saudi to go to Australia, I believe. And there was a stopover in the Philippines and her parents had contacted the airport and they held her passport and held her in a room until the Saudi authorities came and took her away and brought her back to her family. And then nobody heard much about her for you know, a really long time. I think some people finally found out some little bit of news, but it's like she just disappeared. And uh, so it not only was Saudi Arabia doing it, but they were other governments were becoming complicit in this sort of thing. And so, no, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, welcome to the 20, 20, the late 19th century, but yeah, I mean, it does. It is going to make a big difference for a lot of women. Yeah, I think. I, okay, so I, I know a lot of people already know that I think like these are uh, little token gestures as a way to create cover for a lot of some of the greatest crimes committed by the Saudi regime, by Mohammed bin Salman. Um, like, uh, on a, like people say, like, I mean, even small progress is good progress. Again, this is not small progress. This is like a man that single-handedly, well, with, with, his, with the people around him, has been able to commit more human rights violations inside and outside of Saudi Arabia than any of his predecessors, right? So... Again, there are people, like there are many women rights activists in prison being tortured um, and Saudi dissidents are being are disappearing um, more than ever before, being executed. 
uh, being tortured, being imprisoned. And in response, we get token gestures like, oh, yeah, a woman can drive now. Okay, now we can go to the theater. Okay, like me. Yeah. So you already know that I think that these are basically a, a way for the media to get get something to look like Saudi Arabia is reforming for the better, right? Even though it's reforming for the worse. Um, and the media, and they know exactly what to throw at the media that gets a lot more attention. Like, it's boring to say, I don't know, certain Shia imams are being executed by MBS. Like, who gives a crap? Or like this dissident of that fought for this right that is now legal in Saudi Arabia is still in prison right now and she's being tortured for it. Um, or she's still like not free and like go into prison every day. Like you can, you can say that and oh yeah, who cares about that? But at the same time you can say like, what woman can go to the theater? Like people could go to the theater now. Like, yay, the media is gonna be like, oh my God, that's so interesting, Saudi Arabia. And the, the problem is that Saudi Arabia is so backwards that they have so many things that little things that they could give away like this for, for a very long time to cover a lot of crimes they're committing. You know what I mean? Like that's one benefit of being so backward that even the smallest gesture is going to look like progress. And they have like a million of them to give away because they're so, you know, they're so far behind. Um, however, given, I mean, people already knew I'm going to say that. You could still be happy for the people who are benefiting from these small gestures. My problem is not that you shouldn't be happy for them. My problem is not to give credit, not to congratulate the Saudi regime. Okay? This is, they do not deserve credit. They, these people are evil. You know, I could, add, add, I could be like, okay, the women who are driving in Saudi Arabia, for example, right now, okay? Like that wanted to drive and couldn't drive and now they could drive. Am I happy that they can drive right now? Yes, I'm happy that they could drive right now, right? Of course I am, right? Are like these people that now get to live alone without male permission. Is that better than not being able to? Of course it is, right? But do not think like, yay, Saudi Arabia is moving in the right direction. It's not. It's moving in the wrong direction. Again, these are not a contradictory positions. I could be like, yes, yeah, Saudi Arabia is moving backwards, not forwards. But at the same time, I'm happy for this woman. These are not contradictory positions. Uh, Rivka. So while I, I absolutely do agree with you in terms of like, you know, when you're so backwards, you can keep giving little, uh, you know, pet, you know, throwing little uh, nuggets out for a long time to make it look like you're doing something. Absolutely. But I think what's interesting about this one in particular is that it doesn't just give them the right to live alone. It also grants them the right to register their childbirth, their marriage or their divorce, to be issued family documents and to be eligible to be guardians of children who are minors. So it's enfranchising women in a way that they weren't before. And the reason I think this is interesting and important is that when people start having certain expectations of what they should be allowed to do and what they can do and their own liberty and their own enfranchisement, oftentimes then they demand more or they are looking to change more things because they see what it feels like to have some level of participation in a society or in decisions like registering a birth. That could be a really huge thing for someone. So I 
and while I also agree that part of the way MBS, and we've said this before, does this is he tries to make people think that nothing they do is going to affect whether the changes come or not. They come from him. But at the same time, I think people can still work on demanding more freedom and hopefully making some other changes from their own empowerment and taking these even small gestures and turning them into something bigger for themselves. Um, so Matt brought up this comment that I thought was very good. So Matt is a Saudi expat and he says, that's going to be bad in the beginning, just as how it was bad for when women were allowed to drive for the first time when they got beaten up by men because it wasn't common and considered somewhat haram. So I think this is a very good point that there may be backlash. Well, it is legal, you know, for it to be more societally acceptable, let alone without consequence, um, may take some time. But to have, a, you know, the legal right and ability to do so is obviously one of the most important first steps. And also to Matt's point, I think that's very valid. And also sometimes it takes a little bit of an education campaign for women to know that they have these rights. There was a similar thing that happened in Mor Morocco with women and divorce and um, domestic violence. But most of the women, especially in the villages, had no idea that the law had changed or that they had now gained some sort of enfranchisement or uh, protection under the law. So it took uh, several years and some education campaigns for these people to, you know, even know that they that was an option for them. Very good point, Marmon. Yeah. So <clears throat> another thing to point is that it's it's also possible that it's in the Saudi government's calculation to make sure that its people understand that this is uh, a gift from them and not them giving into pressure right so this might also you know like this is we're doing this because we on our own have recognized that you deserve this and we out of our kindness of our heart are trying to modernize it's not like anybody like do not do not think like you guys protested and put us under pressure and now we're giving into that because we don't want to encourage you like if we if you see this as a defeat then it would encourage protests and rebellion like so, so do not see this as a defeat this is a victory because we are so gracious that are we, we're giving you rights and stuff right so be appreciative like and thank us instead of being like okay now we want more because you get more when we decide you get more not when you demand more okay it's going to be on our timing, not based on your demands. Okay. So not only, so even when we do token gestures, when we're giving you certain rights, we make sure to punish the people who fight for those rights at the same time. So like, okay, women can drive now, but all the women who fought for the ability for women to drive, go to prison <laughs> while we make women dri driving legal. We're going to punish the people who demanded it so that you guys recognize that this was not because of your pressure. Like, we're going to come down on descent harder than last time, okay? Harder than last time. So you know your place. You know where you belong, right? If we're eating and we're just feeding you some crumbs, 
Don't ask for an entire meal. Be, stay on your knees and say thank you. That's where you belong. On your goddamn knees. Okay. Um, anything you want to add? No. That, you, you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, anything you want to highlight in the next in the live chat, or uh, good to go? No, let's go to the next news. Okay, can we clap for the next news? Um, no. No. Okay. Well, I mean, about... it's a good thing because people are arrested for this, so we can clap. Next news. Next news: Six arrested in burglary of Buddhist temple. Possible nationwide spree. So. In Arkansas, um, an organized wave of break-ins and thefts at Buddhist temples is sweeping across the United States. Most of these criminal endeavors occurred at Asian American temples that serve Buddhist immigrants from Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Sri Lanka. So far, these burglaries have occurred in Arizona, North Carolina, Southern California, and Oklahoma. Six people were arrested in May 2021 for charges ranging from robbery, trespassing, and assault on a Buddhist temple in Rogers, Arkansas. Five women and a man have been detained who are all identified as Romanian natives. The uh, Chua Duc Vien temple was targeted initially on April 18th by four women asking for prayers on behalf of a family member. A few days later, Six suspects returned to the temple, forced themselves inside, and stole cash donations. Wait, is this because Buddhists like are nonviolent and they think like they're not going to defend themselves, so they're like easy pickings? I I think well, that's kind of what I wanted. To, I wanted to raise this news item because it's not often we talk about Buddhist things, let alone what looks like just discrimination or at least the targeting of buddhists and i think that maybe, actually might be a part of this maybe, maybe and also because, they go ahead they know they have because, money yeah yeah also maybe because like hey we're just helping you separate from the material world like like, <laughs> <laughs> like here's a really you. good chance to practice your we're dharma just, yeah no we're just helping I you yeah, you can't just kind of be stay connected to the material world. Like this is not part of your ideology. Let me, let me, let us help you separate you away from. All. I don't know. Suffering if, comes from attachment, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> why, like why are you? Why are you not letting us take? Are you attached to these things that we're taking? Right? Like maybe you should like revisit your ideology if you're too attached to. Yeah, oh well, what God. I think so interesting about this story, though, too. <laughs> is it busts like a lot of assumptions that people have about a lot of things like, oh, Buddhists? There's Buddhist temple in Arkansas and some Romanians are robbing the Buddhist immigrants and some Romanian immigrants. And so all these people may have these ideas about what they think about places or people or who perpetrators might be or why. And not that I'm glad that these people were robbed, that's not that they were violated. But I think it's really interesting when things bust people's preconceived notions about how things go down and who people are and where those people are and what certain places are like. And so I think that that's a really interesting aspect of this because people make a lot of assumptions. And this one kind of has 
nothing that you would maybe necessarily assume. Yeah, um, Will Philly is saying, I spent time in a Buddhist temple and most of the donations are in cash. That That is great for robbers. Yeah, so yeah, that's one, of these, exactly. one of these temples that they robbed, they robbed for $1,500 no, $1, in cash just at one place. And they had an MO at one of these places that, uh, uh, or what they would repeatedly do is they, they go in and they ask for prayers for a sick family member. And then while some of them are doing that, like distracting the nun or kind of the person who is like the, the caretaker for the temple, then the other ones go case the place and they either rob it then while they're distracted. Well, the person trying to like pray for them or um, they come back and what they did in Arkansas, they forced their way inside and the, for in Arkansas, they forced their way inside the temple and there was only this nun who was like watching it. And she had to run away. They chased after her. There was a neighbor who helped her. Um, but I don't know. It just, it's so, I think this is sad. Isn't really the right word, but if this happened to me or my community, I, it would just feel like such a violation, especially like now that there's a pattern that this seems like that these targets were purposefully chosen. Um, and I don't know. I think about the people who it's their job to take care of these places and these buildings feeling less safe. And it just makes me feel bad inside. Yeah. And it sounds to me like this group are professional grifters that some of this, like, yeah, Armin's point about not fighting back, but also really, I thought, you know, the cash thing. And, um, so this is easy pickings for them. And there may be a myriad of other type of organizations or people that they targeted because they could trick them or grift them or, you know, and it is sad, especially when if it's an elderly person alone in this building, it's very scary. And you're right. It's absolutely a violation when people do things like okay, this. Okay, They can be that professionals. The, like you see in the security camera captured their faces and their the the car like you know plate number i mean look even like even you have the best excuse right now to wear a mask properly you have the best goddamn excuse to move in to buildings right now with a full face coverage but even with all the excuse in the world you don't you, you don't cover <laughs> like you're robbing a place and you don't like and nobody could, would suspect you for covering your face because they think you have a good excuse and even in the middle of a robbery you don't f cover your face properly lady like look at there like professional like wait are these people caught because this was like a like we have, we know their car and we have their faces. But they... remember, they've been doing not necessarily them, but there's people doing this all over the country. And my thought, it probably may, may be some organized group that a lot of these people are involved in because it happened in several different places. Now, I don't know, maybe it's the same people, but the MO sounds just like grifters. But my question is like, so have you see, saw that they got caught or are they still? Yeah, they're arrested for this. Oh, okay. For their I'm most recent place. one in the Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. But okay, okay. what's I mean, interesting yeah. is that, so apparently all six of the individuals who are arrested for this are Romani. And in news articles that I found outside of our site, by the way, not on our site, the comments were filled 
with all this anti-Romani hate saying oh, they're no. not Romanian. Don't call them Romanian. They're this is the some racist stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I thought was really like a totally different angle to this news oh, item. Oh, no. Was okay. A lot, a lot of, of people going, this is what Romanis do, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, right. No, no. Oh, my God. It, it, it played into the idea that this ethnic group is just grifters, you know? Yeah, as in like. Well, I didn't know they were Romani. I thought they were just Romanian. No, yeah. I mean, I know you didn't. But. Um, no, it's, it's, it's interesting because like. There's grifting happening all the time by all sorts of races. Every so I, culture, every group. Yeah, so I don't know. This is so stupid. Um, by the way, I just want to mention something else. This kind of reminds me, you know how we said like uh, Buddhist temples are kind of like vulnerable? This reminds me of like the Vikings discovering how a lot of Christian churches were, had like a lot of gold and nobody to defend them. And they're like... Like, uh -oh. We don't. We didn't even kill anybody. Like you know, we just walked in and just picked it up. Like they couldn't believe their luck, right? So yeah, I don't know. Just religious. I don't. I know. It's, I know it's not relevant, but just religious institutions just having money around for people to come pick up. Just Cash. reminded me of the Viking. Yeah, yeah. And um, um uh, there, there was so in in the article that we posted to our the, our site you can find the sources in the de the description we had two videos from youtube from um two different reportings on these robberies so the one you see right here is from a robbery in arizona there's one in the bottom of the article from arkansas and they were interviewing a woman from the community and she was saying um that her she had an asian business that was targeted and she said that she thinks that they target Asian and Asian businesses because they're known to carry a lot of cash, according to her. So okay, I I have to correct this idiot in the live chat. Okay, Spencer, I didn't say they didn't murder anybody. I said like sometimes they didn't even have to. Okay, of course the Vikings murdered. Really, the Vikings murdered a lot of people. Thank you so much for the news, Spencer. Amazing, like that's amazing knowledge. I didn't know that. Okay. Oh my God. Maybe listen to what I was saying. Uh, yeah. But there were situations where they couldn't believe that they just had to walk in and walk out and just pick up the goals. I said there were instances. I didn't say they didn't murder anyone. Ah, all right. Yes, Vikings had it really easy. In some situations, there were situations where there was a lot of killing. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, um, anything you guys want to add or like look at the live chat before I grab the next news? No, I mean, I just think... Um... It's important to highlight these situations because sometimes certain communities are seen as more vulnerable because they're like perceived as not being less likely to speak up against abuses they face. And that's particularly true for a lot of the Asian American community. Um, and it's unacceptable. And okay. we'll see how uh, this turns out for the, these six individuals. Yes, yes, yes. Wait, wait, when they got arrested, they got the money back? I don't know. I couldn't oh. find details on damages. Okay. 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 I hope they got the money back. Um, can we clap for the? F no. No. Can we? No. No. It's okay. not very nice. No, it's not nice at all. Okay. Oh my God, we're gonna get murdered by YouTube for this, eh? Uh, next news. Next news. Chief Rabbi labels LGBT pride attendees as. Quote, inferior to wild animals. Um, 
Shlomo Amar, former Sephardi chief rabbi of Israel, has a lengthy track record of barbed comments in sermons against LGBT people. According to the Times of Israel on June 3rd, Amar dubbed the Jerusalem Pride Parade attended by some uh, 7,500 people as an abomination. In an interview published with the local newspaper, the rabbi stated that being gay should be punishable by execution under Jewish law. In 2015, he predicted that homosexuality would disappear as most of the public is disgusted by it and oppose it. Uh, Alon Shachar, the executive director of the LGBT nonprofit Jerusalem Open House for Pride and Tolerance, said that the parade is not an abomination, but oppressive positions like that which Amar expresses are. Um... Yeah, his comment was insane. His full speech, or not the full speech, his full comment was um, they did the abomination parade, which they are supposedly proud of. Wild animals don't behave this way. He went on to add, we have reached this disgrace, this debasement, this corruption, that there are people who are called religious who wear a kippah, referring to the actively practicing religious queer people who joined the Pride March in Jerusalem on that day. So he is so incensed by this that he's saying, like, if you're in the abomination parade, his words, not ours, that and you're wearing a kippah, that you should just take it off and eat pork. Why don't you? Because it's not, it's that's not even as bad. Like, and he literally says, if only they would take it off, referring to the yarmulke or the kippah, if only they would just eat pork rather than do this action. So two things that a religious Jew, you know, a really religious Jew, the kippah, and then the pork, even people who aren't religious, just don't. But go ahead, do those two things, because even that's better, which is just ridiculous. And it's he's so and I, I never grew up with this kind of gay is a sin kind of Judaism. But then again, my age gayness wasn't as ubiquitous in the culture in any way. So if I'm honest, nobody really talked about it because it wasn't anything, you know, there was no Ellen, you know, or any of that. So um, maybe that's why I never heard it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Armin? Oh, you you unmuted. You want to say something? Oh, well, I, I was going to ask Rivka, what do you call, is there a word for Jewish law? Because he's calling for like, Jewish Sharia. <laughs> yeah, hachala, you know, uh, that's, yeah. that's the, you know, but I mean, I don't know where he's, you know, in that this fits, you know, under what I, I'm not, like I said, I never experienced any discussion of any of this. And then also, because I was a girl, I wasn't given the same kind of education about mm. some things and then also remember i'm a hebrew school dropout <laughs> so um which my father was fine with because and i quote it doesn't matter anyways because you're a girl that was a direct quote from my father mm. um so 
but yeah, I mean, I, maybe they're going to find some Bible verses, but I don't know where it's codified. But there are a bunch of rules about sexuality, about, you know, commanding to have sex and, you know, multiply and when you can and when you can't, depending on, you know, menstruation with women mm -hmm. and all kinds of. So there's all kinds of really uh, personal rules about all kinds of things, you know, what shoe you put on first, etc. Yeah. Okay. So I need to add my commentary in this. First of all, what do religious people have against animals? Why is that always an insult? Oh I don't understand. Okay. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is that here's, here's his argument. Wild animals don't behave this way. First of all, they do, but let's say they don't. You know what wild animals also don't behave like they don't put on robes and wear glasses i don't know like is how is that a standard like this is like the appeal to nature fallacy i mean wild animals also like like you know don't go get on planes or drive cars or use the internet so like so what right we i mean first of all wild animals do behave this way but if they didn't and we as humans decided that this makes us happy we don't have to use well animals as a role model. We could do things that make us happy. It doesn't have to be the same way. Um, another thing that people want to point out is that um, I think this is this is great. I want this people to do our job for us, right? Because I mean, it's hard for us to come out and say like, ah, Judaism is like stands for this and that, and people are like, no, it doesn't. And I'm like, you know what? Let their rabbi do our speaking. Thank you very much. You know, this is like when it comes to exposing religion, I mean, we don't need to do much. We just need to religious people to tell us what the I mean, this guy's he's the thing. This guy is representing Judaism pretty accurately. You know what I mean? Like if he is more correct than the Jewish liberal Jewish people who come and say, like, no, this is not no, 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 this is not in our scripture. It is who were okay? wearing kippah during the pride parade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. So I, I want, like, you know, so the thing is that when it comes to gay, uh, gay people in Israel or, or anywhere else, they they are winning, okay? The gay rights movement is winning. These people are not going to be able to stop it, okay? These people are just standing in front of a train. And, I mean, look at the reaction in Israel to this guy. Everybody's outraged. Everyone's outraged. It's good. Like, so we're going to run over these people, and they're not going to be able to stop uh, uh, you know, people's rights and stuff like that, right? They're just standing in front of a train and holding their hand, and they're going to be crushed. Uh, the only benefit from this is the fact that they're helping us expose religion. By the way, when it comes to exposing religion, can you, like, we have a lot of videos like this um, every time some rabbi or some Jewish uh, Judaism-related um, news comes and we, ex you know, we cover it. But watch... When we do like anti-Islam videos or anti-Christianity videos, you always see like these comments like, "Oh, you never do Judaism," you know, like like we're doing Judaism, okay? We are doing Judaism, and it's not helpful because the algorithm, YouTube's algorithm, is punishes us because we are saying things that YouTube's algorithm is too dumb to realize that this is not our views. So YouTube's algorithm is going to think like we are expressing some really bad anti-semitic viewpoint right now right the ai is not that smart to recognize that this is not our views right so even though we're going to get punished for covering news like this 
right? It would be safer for us to just like constantly talk about how bad Christianity is or I don't know, like how oppressive that is. That would be safe. But we are covering news like this, even though it's not in our interest to cover news like this because it's on the goddamn news and we want to show it to you guys. Somebody had their hand up. Rivka. I wanted to say too, so your point about how people were outraged with this, um, when the woman was stabbed in the 2015 parade, this person got a life sentence. Uh, the um, pride. The child. She was 16 years old and yeah. stabbed at pride. Yeah. She died too, by the way. She was murdered um, and demanded all kinds of police protection, which they have gotten. Um, and so the whole community, I mean, I think they're saying in this article that Two, in 2019, 250,000 people in Israel took place. Um, it took uh, participated in this parade. You know, meaning it, it was the largest event in significantly in the Middle East and one of the largest global. So yeah, this guy is losing, and he's just you know, man yells at cloud, and but he's. He's also not the chief rabbi of Israel anymore. So, you know, this could be also some attempt to stay relevant and whip up yeah. his, his base. His, his position is now he's like chief Sephardic rabbi. So I guess it's something that he does along with the chief Ashkenazi rabbi. I did a little oh, yeah. research and that was Well, like I was, yeah. But, and I don't know if people know, you know, Ashkenazim are like more Eastern and European rather Jews and Sephardim are tend to be from some parts of Spain and Portugal, Morocco, places like that. And then there's also Mizrahi, which are like Arab regions, but, and not that this is the reason, and I don't want any Sephardim to say that I'm generalizing because I'm not, but a lot of sometimes in Israeli politics, a lot of the Mizrahi and some of the Sephardim tend to be more conservative in some ways. So I don't know if that's part of the base. And then there's this anti gay group and they're a far right group. You know, they were there, but nothing really happened because it was a heavy police presence because the government is protecting these people. So Armin's right. You know, this guy is, he's shouting at air because, you know, the pendulum's already swung past you. Dude. If I if I was the king of Israel, okay, and if it was like a totalitarian regime, okay, and I was like the head dictator, I would make it so that Israel is like a safe haven for like in the spirit of what happened in World War II and Israel becoming safe haven for Jewish people and after like before and after it. I would be like, Israel is not a safe haven for Jewish people, Israel is a safe haven for all the oppressed, and like including like gay people right so for example especially given that in world war ii but weren't there, after the jews were in the next runner-up were they the romanos or were they gay people i don't know both of them yeah actually both roman and gay people so like israel is a safe haven for jewish jewish people um romanos uh gay people transgender um you could come like claim your citizenship if you're trans in israel um if you're eager Muslim from China, if you're Yazidi, uh, that would be like all the oppressed, all the oppressed, that would be 
That was the Israel that I grew up with, and it was a in the seventies, and it, with all these bringing people from other places and rescuing them, and it the whole idea of it being a light among nations, right. you know, and it was that, yeah, and it 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 can be in a lot of ways, but a lot of things are driving these far right sort of movements throughout the world. All kinds yes. of, you know, people who somehow believe that the past was better and they're going to pull the future back towards it. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I always understood it was to be a light among nations. You know, if I was a collectivist, my comeback to this rabbi would be like, like maybe like so gay people should be like, come on, man, we were like the same victim as the World War II as you guys. Like we were like, like. Shouldn't I give you some, I don't know, perspective? Like, we were <laughs> like, we are both targets of but the he, same ideology. He's irrational. He, yes. he's, he's an irrational, you can't administer, you know, medicine to, you know, to the dead. And you can't, you know, if someone doesn't value reason and logic, what reason and logic are you going to use to? explain something to them because and i'm saying that in the sense of that the things he's saying are just um you know go eat pork instead this is where you know but if you're eating pork he'd be like how dare you eat pork you know he's just he's just a hater yes by the way i do agree with that um eat you know go eat Actually, I don't know. Do we have vegans that are going to come? And anymore? you know what? Guess what? You can eat pork in some places in Israel. So, yes, go yes. for it, dude. Yes. Um. Okay. Okay. Um. Yes. Actually, that like them saying Israel, live up to your ideals. Yes. Thank you very much. That's a very, very good summary. Like Israel, there was so much potential for what Israel could be, um, and I still wish that for Israel. Um, okay. Do we we're gonna bring the next news and can we clap for the next news? Um new. New okay, next news. Next news funeral of Ahmadi woman attacked by a Pakistani mob. Um on June 6th, a mob led by right-wing Muslim clerics attacked the funeral of an Ahmadi woman in Pakistan's northwestern region. Um, for those who don't know, Ahmadis are a religious minority in Pakistan who are severely persecuted because they do not believe that Muhammad was the final prophet of Allah. Um, the funeral procession got together in the northwestern state of Punjab for a burial service of an Ahmadi woman. A group of uh, a mob of locals showed up at the burial grounds as the Ahmadis entered the local cemetery. The mob pelted stones at the mourners and hit them with sticks. Still, the Ahmadis stood their ground and performed the burial process. Uh, the incident was captured on a video that went viral online. The viral video provoked a heated reaction from Muslim clerics across Pakistan. Um, Ibtisan uh, Ilahi Zahir, a radical cleric, urged the police to side with the mob instead of the Ahmadis. What the hell? I'm he also he also released a video later after he's like, yeah, you know, urging the police not to 
prosecute the mob, saying that the administration had accepted his conditions, like he's running the country. No legal action against the Muslim attackers. Excuse me. Instead, legal action will be taken against the Ahmadis, and in the future, no Ahmadi funeral will be buried in local grave. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. This is this guy saying, you know, I put forth these conditions and now they've accepted it. But um, I just, it, it's really sad because there's some things that most people find beyond the pale. And that's, you know, people's funerary services attacking people in mourning and grief. And these guys don't care their hatred is more important than anything and it's really sad and i you know it's sad that these people can't even they're already suffering because someone they care about has passed away and now they can't even you know grieve together because they're being attacked by a mob it's terrible wait so okay let me just get this straight Sunni Muslims attack Ahmadi Muslims. For people who don't know, Ahmadi Muslims are not real Muslims, according to a lot of Sunni Muslims. Okay, uh, and according to the state of Pakistan. Yes, according to the state of Pakistan. Is that on your passport? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, let me please just let me finish. Right, it's so official. Uh, it's so official in Pakistan that Ahmadi Muslims are not real Muslims. Not only they're not real Muslims, they're a threat to the definition of Islam. Okay. So much so that the government of Pakistan have made it mandatory for you to acknowledge for every citizen of Pakistan who wants a, fuck, a, a passport, okay? When you apply for your passport, like you can go and check this. The official web, you know, the website where you register for getting a passport, you have to acknowledge that you accept that Ahmadi Muslims are not real Muslims. Like the... Like, think about the equivalent of that. Like, imagine in the United States, anybody who wanted to get a passport, right? They officially had to accept that, I don't know, the Catholic doctrine is not true Christianity. You have to accept that or else they wouldn't give you a passport, right? You don't even have to be a Protestant, but you have to acknowledge that Catholic religion, they see that's how big of a deal Ahmadi religion is to the Sunnis in Pakistan. That's how big of a threat that they see it. Because Ahmadis believe that in prophets after Muhammad, and one of the most important parts of um, Islam is that Muhammad was the last prophet. They see Ahmadi Muslims as a greater threat uh, than, uh, than Jews, Christians, atheists, and everybody else combined, okay? Uh, that's how big of a threat they see Ahmadi Muslims. And this is how they treat them. Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan are one of the most discriminated uh, group of people around the world. And this is what I'm telling you. Like, we as atheists, we defend Ahmadis who are Muslims more than Muslims themselves, right? This is why I tell you that Muslims are not safe in Islamic countries. The best place for Muslims are secular countries. This is why we defend secularism, not just for the sake of atheists. We defend secularism for the sake of Muslims as well and everyone else. But look, this guy, I agree with this guy's comment. He's saying, complete impunity for clerics and mob that attacked a funeral of Ahmadi woman in somewhere in Pakistan. Uh, I don't know how to read that place. But punishment for Ahmadis that were attacked. So the police punished 
the Ahmadis who were attacked under the what under the crime of burying the dead in the place where Ahmadi Muslims are not like what was the punishment for? Is that correct? Rutka, you're muted. Oh, I'm I'm getting it almost as saying that for for being Ahmadi for just existing because oh. they want to create um, a rule in the future that no one will be allowed, no Ahmadis will be allowed to be buried. But right. from what I'm understanding, that wasn't didn't necessarily exist formally. Right. Okay. So but no, they're so targeted. Okay. They had to move just, their world headquarters to Britain because they can't yes, even exist I was, I was in just, a Muslim. I just country. wanted this small answer so I could read the rest of this tweet. Um, the, this person, Osama Khiliji, I don't know. He's saying this dehumanization. Uh, this is dehumanization. Yes, it is. This is genocide. Um, yes, technically it is. Yes, this is, I think so, but I don't know the, the legal definition of genocide, but I think it would pass as that. This is apartheid. Definitely, I would think this, this is apartheid. Yeah, guys, I think this uh, Pakistan could be de described as an apartheid state, given how uh, Ahmadis live in Pakistan, and now Shias as well. We must not shy from calling a spade a spade at home. And here, oh, is this guy in Pakistan? Because if he is and he's saying these things, that's pretty badass. Um, so here, this is saying Salafi cleric authorities have accepted. Okay, here, no action against the Sunni Muslims, uh, action against Ahmadis for displaying and firing weapons, uh, separate graveyard for Ahmadis. Okay, so the allegation is that the Ahmadis, um, displayed weapons, well, like, like as self defense. I don't know how accurate we don't know how accurate these reports are, so we don't. Uh, Susanna, you have your hand up. Well, so part of at the heart of this is that Ahmadis are despised so much, they're not even allowed to be buried. Like, even in death, there is segregation. So it's this fight over, you can't even bury your dead near our dead. You have to be separated. And that was part of what inspired this mob to go... Um, and attack this funeral procession for. In that video that you showed earlier, you see this thing that kind of looks like um, a bed. And I guess in that is traditionally what you carry people in before you bury them. So you can see here that the dead woman's been thrown from basically her casket. Because she's not in that thing. And... Um, if you scroll down further in the article, there's a tweet that I want to um, highlight. So um, th I thought this was really important to highlight. So uh, Shireen Mazari is the human rights minister for Pakistan. And she tweeted um, about the uh, anti-Muslim bigoted attack that happened in Canada, where four members of a family were um, targeted because they were Pakistani and Muslim. And so she said, um, Canadian radical murderous Muslim family by ramming truck into them in London, Ontario, condemnable. Sad how hate and intol intolerance and hate for the other is becoming endemic across the globe. And then someone quote retweeted her and said, um, including Pakistan, where we don't let the Ahmadi community bury their dead. So a lot of people are I, with uh Shireen Mazari it's really not hard to point out her hypocrisy like because she so willfully turns a blind eye to or doesn't as vocally condemn so much of the discrimination and persecution of minorities that happens within Pakistan as well as of course the PM um Imran Khan 
um, is notorious for this, talking about Islamophobia of other countries and how their Islamophobia coming from their blasphemy against Prophet Muhammad. But then people are talking about, what about your Islamophobia or your Kafirophobia? Because, you know, they think the Ahmadis are Kafir. They're not even Muslim. Like, look at what's going on in your country. It's so much worse than just an offensive drawing of a holy figure. All right. So I need to address a few things in the live chat because people are saying, I I think they don't get what I'm... uh, Okay, so uh, Chihaya is saying, correction, Ahmadis consider Mirza Ghulam Khan Mirza Ghulam Ahmad as uh, Imam uh, Imam Al-Mahdi. Muslims believe Imam uh, Al-Mahdi is yet to arrive. Okay, so, and again, somebody else mentioned, Kenji mentioned this as well, but let me actually clarify what you guys are missing. Um, um, Kenji was also saying, correction, Ahmadis don't believe that Muhammad wasn't the last prophet. Uh, they believe that Mirza Ghulam Ahmad was Imam Mahdi, not that he's a prophet. Okay, so guys, if you actually look at the things that they say, uh, they say that Mirza Ghulam Ahmad is the Mahdi, but the, the, he clear, like based on their ideology, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, he is connect, he's directly spiritually connected to God. Okay? So even if they don't call that prophethood, a, 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 a spiritual connection like with Vahya, with Allah, based on Sunni definitions of prophethood that that would can make him that that would make him a prophet even if you don't call it that i mean the 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 reason why there's so much hate for ahmadis is not because they think the mahdi showed like that would not by itself be enough to create this much animosity against ahmadis right the the way they elevate him to a position that could only be accepted, that could clearly be seen as um, a prophet, um, that's what bothers Sonny's a lot. That's what offend them, offends them so much. Let me see if somebody is addressing what I'm saying. Well, there's also uh, um, uh, certain things within... No. I can't remember exactly what it is, but in Pakistan, you there are certain areas where you have to say that Muhammad is the seal of the prophethood. Right. Like, it, so in the way is- that you say his name afterwards, you have to say this little phrase that acknowledges that he is the seal of the prophet, which is specifically an anti-Ahmadi measure. Yeah, this is exactly. So this is why I think that both Kenji and uh, Chiaya are missing the point. They're like, oh, he's that guy was not a prophet. He was the Mahdi. Then if that if that's how the Sunnis if you don't think that the Sunnis don't see that as a challenge to Muhammad being the seal of the prophet, then why is claiming that Muhammad is a seal of a prophet? Why acknowledging that? Why is that considered to be an anti-Ahmadi position? Right? The fact that that's considered to be an anti like you're like you have to acknowledge that Muhammad was the seal of the prophet in Pakistan as a way as an anti-Ahmadi measure shows that what you guys are describing is not how it's being perceived by Sunnis, right? Do you guys see, like, the people who are, do you guys see what, I, what you're saying? Do you disagree? All right. Um, anybody? I go? just wanted to point out, too, that this wasn't just some spontaneous event. Apparently, it was planned because it was announced at nearby mosques that Muslims should get together and stop this 
funeral procession. So it wasn't just some, you know, like rotten apples who were like, oh, we, you know, rah, rah, rah. No, this was an organized event. Premeditated. Yeah. Within the Sunni Muslim community organized through their mosques. Apparently some of these ones. Um, and uh, apparently this tension had been growing over, you know, uh, several days. And they were talking about. Um, but then the police. Wa Wajid Abbas, he's the spokesperson for the police in that area, said that action are going is going to be taken by against the people who took the law into their hands by brandishing weapons. Now, I don't know what that means since they were charging them. Ahmadis with having weapons. Okay. And then he said, again, as you said, that they would now bury people in a predetermined site. So, yeah. So, right. so it just sounds up, like more bigotry. Yeah. They ended up losing that, you know, yeah. People are just not right. agreeing. Okay. Got it. Um, again, some. Uh, I wanna, I, can I answer this? Yeah, go ahead. So secular rarity is saying, wait, are you saying that the phrase that many Muslims say in Arabic after saying Muhammad's name is specifically anti-Ahmadi? No. Um, there are lots of different phrases that people may say after Muhammad's name, but, and I can't remember the details specifically. So someone, um, if you're familiar with this issue in Pakistan, please correct me. But my understanding is that, well, one, it would be in Urdu probably, but two, like in certain contexts, like maybe on the government, like on the floor of government, you have to say the specific phrase, which I don't know because I don't speak Urdu. That Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's not about it's not about Muhammad being the seal of the Prophet. No, That's no. I remember talking to Ali Rizvi about how they have to say this other phrase that says that he's the seal of the Prophet. But I couldn't look it up because I right. don't so, know what he's saying. Okay, so if no, 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 just can I just can I please. Guys, this is why I wanted to say, guys, for, we're talking about the context within Pakistan. We're not talking about all Muslims. Most Muslims would say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, after Prophet Muhammad's name is mentioned, um, which is like a blessing to Muhammad and his household or whatever, uh, or his people. Um, that, but yeah, no, we're, talk, we're not talking about all Muslims. We're talking about within the context of Pakistan, this emphasis of acknowledging that Muhammad, I mean, all Muslims, well, not all Muslims, if, if you count the Ahmadis. Um, well, I mean, okay, defense. Within the Islamic doctrine, Muhammad is the seal of the prophets, okay? Um, but in, within, the context, within Pakistan, this part of Islam is emphasized more than other places because of the anti-Ahmadi nature of Sunni Islam, Sunni Muslims in Pakistan, right? So we're not talking about all Muslims everywhere, right? Um, yes, yeah, exactly. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is basically means praise, praise be unto him and his all would be like people. And the, uh, yeah, so PB and his project. Right? Yes, perf perfect translation. Amazing. Yeah, good, good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I've been watching a lot of Shia channels and they're constantly saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to. They say it so fast. It's it doesn't even sound like they are so used to saying it that it doesn't even sound like you don't even know. Like this, I say it's like what? It's it's almost like it's only the outside of their lips that are saying it because their mouth is like the tongue is not even moving anymore. Like what? Like so, you're supposed to say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and they're like Sallallahu. 
So I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. It's, yeah. It gets boring after a while. This is why I, I, I think this is why a lot of Muslims don't mention Muhammad because it's annoying to have to say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam every time that you name mention his name. So that's why so many Muslims just avoid mentioning Muhammad. Maybe they say the prophet. Oh, yeah. They say like, oh, the prophet instead of like saying his name. Or they just, yeah, Rasulullah. Rasulullah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So can we clap for the next news? Um, let's clap uh, because we're going to get into some interesting stuff. All right. And next news. Next news. Seven U.S. states have bans on atheists holding office. So this is something I learned last week that I thought would be very interesting to talk about with you guys. Tennessee's constitution, along with six other states, incorporates a provision that prevents three groups from holding office. Atheists, ministers, and those engaging in duels. Efforts are initiated in the state legislator, legislator of Tennessee to eliminate this ban for ministers, but not for dualists or atheists. When Republican Tennessee State Senator Mark Pody was asked why his decision removes only the prohibition of ministers, he responded that it is best to clean up the Constitution one step at a time. Various state constitutions established laws forbidding both ministers and atheists when they were ratified. Atheists, it was insisted, could not be assumed to be good citizens in a democracy. While uh, Supreme Court rulings in 1961 and 1978 have already made it unconstitutional to ban atheists and ministers, the failure to eliminate these anti-atheist clauses reflect the normalization of the belief in God as being tied to moral citizenship. Um, so just to make it really clear, these uh, bans that are on the books are unenforceable, according to the Supreme Court. They're unenforceable, but they are still on the books, right? Um, and the fact that they are still remain on the books actually still causes consternation for our various local politicians who are atheists because even though the supreme court says that you can't actually revoke someone's you know elected position because they're an atheist um they're critics of whoever this atheist politician is fling this in their face saying you actually aren't even allowed to be in this position right now according to our state's constitution it's it's an unnecessary obstacle for atheist politicians imagine if there was in the in their laws like it's un, un, unenforceable because it's on un, like a lot of people are like why are you guys upset about this this is not even enforceable but imagine if you had in the laws a law that was not enforceable because it's unconstitutional but it was against muslims or jews i think the entire country would like lose their mind like unjustifiably so like i'm not against that right but imagine if we had something on the books, you know, say, so like, oh, yeah, Jews cannot hold office. <laughs> but like, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not enforceable. Do you, like, just think about the outrage, right? Like, again, you could just walk over to atheist, uh, atheists and you don't see that much of a backlash, right? But Rivka. So a lot of these laws not just disenfranchise people from being able to run for office, but they say things like you can't testify in court. 
um, you uh, can't um, hold, you know, civil office can't testify in court, other things. So there's, according to now, some of these may have changed, but I doubt it. So since like 2015, Arkansas, Maryland, which is a pretty progressive state in some ways, Mississippi, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas. So, um, and they talk about, um, part of the reason they say ministers shouldn't be elected is not because their religiosity could have some sort of influence on the decisions that they make, but because they ought not to be diverted from the great duties of their functions as a minister of yeah, the gospel. Yeah, right. So it's to protect their ministerial role, uh -huh. not to protect the general public from the influence of their religious beliefs. <laughs> right. And Pennsylvania is really strange because it says no person who acknowledges the being of a God and a future state of rewards and punishment. So not just a God, but heaven and hell shall on account of his religious sentiments be disqualified to hold any office or place of trust or profit under this Commonwealth. So all kinds of things could have been denied to people, not just run for office, but any fiduciary responsibilities, a principal of a school, something like that. And then it goes on to say, um, it's different from the other states because it says that believers can't be disqualified from holding office for their religious sentiments, but atheists can be. They're calling atheism a religious sentiment that disqualifies you. But if you have any other religious sentiment, you can't be. You, and it says it in the Constitution. And some of them, you know, North Carolina, any person who denies the being of almighty God. So they're very interesting, you know. And some of them, it goes, like I said, heaven and hell, you know. And then Maryland, no religious test ought to be required for the qualification of an office other than declaration of a no belief in God. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I know that um, Representative Jamie Raskin in Maryland is involved in um, trying to remove that in his uh, that provision is his state. I don't know if that was successful, but love representative Raskin because of his work He's with the, the secular coalition and his resolution to prioritize the repeal of blasphemy, heresy and apostasy laws in U S foreign policy in terms of bilateral negotiations relationships. I love that. Um, He's an amazing guy. Yeah. Um, but I really, this article led me to learn about the work of this PhD graduate student named Christina Lee, who was writing about what she calls theist normativity. And it's her way of talking about how being religious is seen as a normal, if not defining part of American identity. And her, a lot of her work in writing is around rhetoric and fighting um, this attitude of 
theist normative is normal. It's normative to be religious. It's expected, if not seen as inherent to your nationality. Um, so that was a very interesting concept. It was like, I've never thought about it that way. Oh, absolutely. Um, because people still use that against people running for office. Oh, they're an atheist. They're secular. You can't trust them. I mean, it is assumed that that is the position of normalcy and anything from that is deviant. Exactly. Um, so if you guys are in any of these states with um, these provisions on the books, I'm, I'm positive that there are movements to try to remove them. For example, um, I know uh, Todd Stifel, who's an atheist activist and the chairman of the Openly Secular Coalition, um, is doing work to try to get some of this stuff removed. Um, There's yeah. actually all kinds of strange laws that people never remove. And some of them are almost left there as, you know, excuses sometimes, you know, for um, some sort of, you know, targeting and things like that. I've experienced that or heard, you know, read about that, you know, some law that you can't have a sticker on this side of your windshield and no one ever enforces it except for when somebody doesn't like you or, you know, so there's all kinds of crazy ones, but the atheist ones are really um, detrimental in the fact that it, it, uh, they know they're unconstitutional, you know, and they still are using this as a way to undermine people's character. One thing, one final thought, one thing that, uh, Christina Lee says in her writings was she's like, if there was any other clause or provision that said you're part of this like protected group, religious, ethnic, sex-based, and even though it was not enforceable, if it was still on the books, politicians would be tripping over themselves to try to remove something like this from the books, even if it wasn't enforceable. So why are we not doing this for atheists? Why is this seen as not an, why are we treated differently? Well, and don't forget, this is within the environment where we had this recent rash of, in the last few years, putting in God we trust up law in schools. All these governors and communities were signing laws that you had to display this. There's been a no rash of laws for prayer or moment of silence coming back. There's all kinds of the whole Ten Commandments, Michigas, where different displays of it and, you know, uh, Roy Moore in Alabama and, you know, defying the judge. So all of this is almost seen as some sort of good fight that people are doing. And so this religious normativity is absolutely the case. And then also if you, I've experienced oftentimes if you rebel against this or say anything against it, people say, well, what you should just be quiet. It's not bothering you. Just keep scrolling or walk on by. So the assumptive position is that the onus is on the secularists to deal with it. All right. This is a good you thing know? to our next news, I guess, right? Well, we do have to do it. And that's why we have the Freedom from Religious Foundation. Guys, 
go support the Freedom from Religion Foundation for doing the difficult work of being those secular people who do have to go defend, not themselves, but actually everyone else. Yes. All right. Can we clap for the next news? Um, let's clap. We don't support it. Next, but let's clap. News. next news. U.S. Justice Department says it will defend religious schools exemption from anti-LGBT discrimination laws. So in a recent court filing in the case of Hunter versus the department, the U.S. Department of Education, the Justice Department said it would quote, vigorously defend religious freedom of federally funded religious schools to discriminate against religious, against LGBTQ students. LGBT advocates were outraged by the filing. They want the government to agree that it's unconstitutional for federally funded schools to discriminate against LGBT people and that the religious exemption isn't defensible. To others, including advocates of President Biden, the administration had no other option since the federal civil rights law concerning education called Title IX excuses religion. On June 9th, the Justice Department revised the document, removing the word vigorously to explain its defense of the religious exemption and retain multiple uses of the word adequate. Slate legal writer Mark Joseph Stern said that the Justice Department tried to prevent a Christian organization from mounting extreme arguments. Despite the change in wording, the legal matters at the crux of the lawsuit remain the same. So I want to provide a little background here. So a few months ago, this um, class action lawsuit was filed against the U.S. Department of Education. Um, this class action lawsuit can, is um, from about 40 um, LGBT people who were students at religious schools. And these religious schools received federal funding. And they are suing the Department of Education because they are saying these schools shouldn't receive federal funding while they are actively and institutionalizing discrimination against me as a student participating, who enrolled there. Um, so because it's the U.S. Department of Education, it's the Justice Department that is going to be the defense, right? And so there was um, a Council of Christian Universities. Some Many of these council members are the schools who are involved in these lawsuits or um, had students who are represented in this lawsuit. They filed a petition where they asked to be included as, I think, a necessary party in this case. And because they said that they believed that the Biden administration would be or influence this and be biased against them and their um, interests in this case. So in response to that filing, the Justice Department has said that they are going to vigorously defend this. So that's why there is this legal writer who's saying that the Justice Department did this to try to prevent the Christian organization from being able to come into this case and mount even more extreme arguments. So that's one way of looking at this. Um, but what arguments did they make to defend it? Because my understanding, if you correct me if I'm wrong about this, is that this wasn't as big of a win for these groups as people think for the religious schools because it didn't set a precedent. 
and the it was unique to the situation and they could have lost this in a way like our side could have lost this in a way that it would have set the president for religious schools and actually this was technically a win in disguise because it could have been a lot worse um but i don't know what line of reasoning did they use that made it so that um it doesn't set a precedent like like they gave it to the religious schools on a technicality i don't know the details but do you know so i think what you're getting at is like this case hasn't begun yet these are all the court filings that happen preceding this being heard right so what's happening before this case really beginning is that these christian schools are actually trying to get involved with the legal proceedings representing themselves and their interests right and um so in that case the justice department said no you're not going to do that because we're going to defend your interests Wait, so i think this would be um i just lost what i was going to say no, but so what's the reasoning? So is the reasoning that they have to defend these schools just so that the religious, so that these other institutions don't get involved and make it even worse? Basically, No, so there's a statutory exemption in federal education amendment called um, Title IX, which provides a lot of things like education for girls, anti-discrimination on the base of sex. But what this particular amendment, Title IX of this education amendment, um, it specifically has a statutory written into the law exemption for religious, um, a religious exemption rather into that's written into the law. So the government is required on some level to defend the law rather than the schools themselves. So that's exactly. what they're doing is they're defending the title nine, 1972 education amendment and the provision within that law that religious People get special treatment. They get an exemption. They get a pass. But okay. I want to take it further back and say, why are religious schools getting any federal funds at all? Is my, Thank you. You know, if these people aren't paying taxes, why are they get our money? But that's a different argument. Yeah, and I, I mean, or we could take it back to the case of, if this discrimination occurred under any other co um, context, it would be unacceptable before the law and before the courts. This is only acceptable because it is religious. So it's inherently discriminatory because it is pr privileging those beliefs over any others. Nobody right. else gets to be discriminatory except for the religious people. They get special treatment. And the way you avoid this, if you want religious people to be allowed to discriminate based on their religion is that wait, wait. you don't give them federal funds and then yep. that solves that problem. Okay. But this is according, like they're not doing it. Like a lot of people are saying this is uh, un unconstitutional, but no, it's not unconstitutional. This is completely like these exemptions exist within the constitution of the United States. No exist within the statutory framework of the law itself the amendment okay, so is, 
title. He, okay, so it's not anti. It's not unconstitutional. No, it's within the law. These people yes. are within their rights under the law to claim an exemption because this exemption was built into the law itself. Yes. Yeah, so, so you can be like, like people can be like, oh, this is illegal. Why are you doing this? No, unfortunately, this is legal. You have to, you can't, like some people are blaming Joe Biden and saying like, here, like, look at this. Um, I think some people are saying, where is this? Oh. This doesn't surprise me. Biden is a devout Christian, more devout than Trump. This is beyond this Biden. Not... He doesn't have much of a say in this. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to basically say right now. Like, this is like, this has nothing to do with Biden. And I don't think Biden's Christianity is influencing a lot of his positions that much at all. And this is like, this is what you expect if the U.S. government was following the law. So you can't complain what the, about what the U.S. government is doing. What you have to complain about is the law. Okay, exactly. You need to change, need to change exactly. the law. Yeah. And these are people who don't a understand what the law says or b the fact that there's a separation of powers. The whole thing that people were upset about under a lot of the Trump administration stuff is that the president was using his position a court, you know, to pressure the justice department to do or not do certain things. The justice department should be separate and independent from the executive in the sense that they are beholden to the law, not to the person. So Biden himself, but also Armin's point is exact. If you have a problem with this, the, and the exemption, the religious exemption is the problem, then the fight is to change the amendment in title nine that statutorily gives this religious exemption, which is exactly what this case is crafted to challenge. Okay. And so the comment I said originally, I think it was about something that happened this month that was similar, that I was confusing with this news because it was so similar. So we have another news about religious freedom advocates, uh, advocates celebrated after the su Supreme court on Thursday sided with the Catholic group that rejects same-same couples as foster parents. We're going to so, talk about that next week because... Yes, but that was that like, that was, this is, this was like, it's so similar to that. And we were talking about the constitutions and stuff. So like the commentary I have, like, was it about the technicality that ended up being a loss for religious group, even though it looked like a win? That's what I was commenting on because it just so it was just so similar to this. So that was in this. So and also like that one, and we'll talk about it next week. But also these things are decided on a very very narrow thing that they're looking at. That's it. They're not. They're not decided on the big overarching idea of whether people should be allowed to have a religious exemption or not. Or is this a good law? Or was this good that this was built? No, they're simply defending the law, the Justice Department, as it was written. And this is one narrow thing that, according to the law, these schools are within their right to do this very narrow thing. Yeah. And Armin, I understand why it got them confused. They're both involving should you be able to receive federal funding if you're discriminating on the basis of religion, just in yeah, yeah. different contexts. So I understand <laughs> yeah. the confusion. 
one of them was the like Supreme Court, this other one is the Justice Department, so but that's why they're very different. But it's very interesting. Okay. Um cool. Um, do you want to highlight any comments or say anything else before I bring up the no, next I'm one? oh Rivka? I just wanna I don't know whose comment it was that said we're the best team. Yes, I highlighted it. Girl <laughs> power. It was blank name. Thank you, blank name. And people okay. are fighting over me. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, yeah. oh we, we're getting Christian trolls also in the live chat. Did you guys see? Like we're getting. It's been Christian. a while. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. We get like usually hey. get the Hindutva <laughs> flavor, the Islamic flavor. We don't get that much Christian, and it's very hateful too. So we get, we don't like we we miss the Christian love, which is the love so this show. It tastes There's like show in that love. Yes, showing yes, that yes. love, showing the Christian love, which is more ugly than most people's hate. Anyways, flavor. On yes, a nice yes. Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I miss the Christian trolls. Okay, cool. Um, so, can we clap for the next news? Uh no. No. Okay. Um, next news. Elderly Indian Muslims beard cut off in beating. Viral video on Twitter causes government crackdown. So there's two kind of aspects of the story that we're going to be covering. First, let's talk about the assault. On June 5th, oh, wait, first, before I begin, guys, just take a guess at where this happened. Uttar Pradesh. You guessed correctly. Uh, ding, 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 ding. Unfortunately, okay. So on June 5th, an elderly Muslim man, uh, Abdul Samad, was brutally thrashed by a group of people in Uttar Pradesh's uh, Ghaziabad district. Uh, Abdul was on his way to the mosque when an auto rickshaw driver offered him a lift. Later, two more men got inside the rickshaw and told him to stay. Wait, then they uh, so, so just to clear, before you mention this news, we're getting reports in the live chat that people are saying this is actually fake news, uh, not people who are like Hindu apologists. Somebody is saying that the guy who spread the news apologized for spreading fake news. So this might not be accurate news. We don't know. Do we? Do you have you? I'm going to get into that. Okay. Oh, you are. Oh, wow. Suze is, is on top of it. She knows about this. Okay. 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 Go. So. Um, where was I? So they um, took him rickshaw. to rickshaw. You were yeah. at rickshaw. Then they took him to a jungle and locked him up in a room and assaulted him. He was forced to chant Hindu slogans like Jai Shri Ram and uh, Vande Matram. Uh, the attackers accused Abdul of being a Pakistani spy. The police arrested three of the six perpetrators for their role in the incident, but ruled out any communal angle and alleged that the attackers, including Hindus and Muslims, were unhappy over the ambulance that Samah had sold them. The Indian government has revoked Twitter's intermediary status, accusing the platform of promoting communal enmity for not removing the video, leaving the tech giant open to a significant risk of mass lawsuits. So that's only the tip of the iceberg with the, the Twitter angle of this but um because of this video being on social media now this is kind of begun the final straw in some ways of twitter's status within india huge legal consequences that i can um get into in a second 
All right. So what, can you respond to the fake news allegations? So there are lots of the police say that this is not a, this is not anti-Muslim bigotry. It's basically the police are putting forth a certain story and actually filing police reports against journalists who are saying otherwise. So despite the fact that this man is being assaulted in a way that is like pretty specific to his religious identity, and you can see that on video, um, they're saying, oh no, this is basically a business dispute. This is because they didn't like what he, he sold them. So they're saying that that's not the intention behind this. And that because of these reasons, people, journalists who are reporting on this, um, independent journalists mostly, who have Muslim names, six of them were named in a police report um, where they are accused of uh, promoting communal enmity, which has serious legal consequences. And um, they have fully revoked Twitter's intermediary status. And I can talk about what that means right. so, for hosting this. Okay, so we have two uh, two different views in life chat. Return to the monkey saying, uh, so he's saying he's the one who's shouting fake news, fake news, fake news. He's like shouting fake news. And then he's like finally saying why, why he's saying fake news. Saying it was a mixed Hindu Muslim mob. He wasn't forced to chant anything. It was regarding a fake uh, Tawiz. Tawiz is like a what? Like a jewelry or something? Like what is that? Tawiz. I don't know, something. But then Katie comes Wait, in. It looks like an amulet to me. Am amulet. Okay, okay. So Katie is saying, so Katie is like saying this is not fake news. What the police is saying, the people who are saying this is fake news, they are the fake news. I think that's what Katie is saying. Because say, Katie is saying the fake part is the police, uh, not, the, not the news, but the police claiming that this was because of something else. In this case, selling an amulet that didn't work. All right. But Susie, you're saying that uh, Katie is right and the people who are saying fake news, they are not right. Because the video shows that the attack on him was like, looked like it was because he was a Muslim, right? Like the nature of the attack looked like his, that has something to do with his Muslim identity. Is that what yeah, you're saying? beating him and mm -hmm. trying to cut off his beard. Right. Yeah, that beard part attack. What about the part that they say, was he actually forced to shout? By the way, for people who don't know what Jai Sri Ram is, it's basically the Hindus Allah Akbar, okay? Um, just that's all you need to know. Um, but was he, is that, that's the part that they're saying is fake, but we don't know, right? Yeah, exactly. Secular rarity is pointing. Didn't they make him cut his beard out? There's video evidence of this, right? Yeah, so the guys, the beard cutting part makes it very suspicious that this was not, had not anything to do with his Muslim identity, okay? So, I mean, India is such a, like the people who are defending Hindutva, have made it very, um, every time there's any news, there's like this accusations of fake news that just comes and this is like a tsunami of people that uh, claim that this is something that is fake, that makes it, and they don't even have to prove their case. They just have to make it confusing enough for people to just like back off. But yeah, so what, Rivka, you had your hand up? So Susanna was talking about, um, so journalists have been charges. I was just looking up some stuff while you were talking. And apparently there's an actress who's had 
file charges filed against her for tweeting about it or retweeting stuff. And um, yeah. And uh, she's the head of uh, India Twitter. There so, was a journalist who had a police report filed against them simply for tweeting a journal, a newspaper post, an article for tweeting right. a newspaper article about it. So I was listening to Faye D'Souza, who was one of my favorite Indian journalists. Guys, go subscribe to her on YouTube. And she was talking about how um, there, there are lots of journalistic consequences to this as well. So there is this reporter, um, Mohammed Zubair, who is part of an organization that fights fake news in India. And um, he was targeted with legal consequences for tweeting about this story. And again, they're trying to say that he's promoting enmity. Well, his tweets did not actually mention any of the identities of the people, like religious identities of the people involved in these attacks. He used good journalistic language, like allegedly, according to, as claimed, mm. etc. And nice. after giving like it's in a thread, you know, like several tweets about the victim's side of the story. Then he tweeted the police's side of the story, you know, like a balanced nice. reporter. And still the authorities, it's not just like some offended citizen. It's the authorities who are pushing for um, prosecution of these people for reporting on the stories. But they're not um, issuing these against main journalistic entities like Times Now India. They're doing it against specific, like six specific journalists who are more independent, all of whom have Muslim names. Right. Um, can I respond to something in live chat? A few things in live chat. Do we have time? For okay, I'm going to do that. So Return to Monk is saying, where am I saying that this is, that it it is right or justifying it i'm just saying that there are there is no commercial angle to this not ignoring the actual hindu mob attacks i'm i'm not doubting it okay so return to monkey he's backtracking what he actually like he just started shouting fake news fake news as soon as we just read the title just the title and then two times after that and now that we're actually giving more nuance he's backtracking that like the shouting of the fake news allegation right when we were reading the title okay now you're like oh okay actually let me now give you a more nuanced position why you were just shouting the fake news at the whole thing at the beginning now now you're adjusting your position blank name is saying Tawiz is islamic version okay so the the amulet that was being sold apparently they're saying it's Tawiz is an islamic version of uh, the stone that brings luck and help you recover when you are sick that that's that that sounds like shirk to me like where are the salafis when you need them um here let me go <laughs> all right secularity say yeah okay yeah secularity is saying that's um does look like an anti-muslim attack katie you want to read this one Suze? katie is saying at? yep so let's say the violence started because of non-religious reasons what happened in the violence was very much because of bigotry beard cutting forced into chant etc that's mm -hmm. a good point so even yeah. if the um reasons for this fight may not be religiously related the expression of the violence was bigoted um that's a very nuanced take katie um katie is always yeah uh, katie's like on top of it um of so well i want to talk about this twitter angle because this has opened up a huge new era in twitter's relationship with india this this what started the we're the story that we were going to cover anyways about this assault has turned into 
this massive consequence for Twitter. So um, Twitter's intermediary status in India has been revoked. So there were some new laws that were introduced in India in May, and they're applied to several um, tech giants, social media companies. And so to the point that I had friends in India, like telling me, I need another way to contact you because according to these new laws that just went into effect, like all of Facebook could be banned tomorrow. And that hasn't happened because that they haven't gone to that level yet. But for Twitter, so intermediary status is, um, there's a difference between an intermediary and a publisher. And Rivka's way smarter than me when it comes to Losh, so she could probably give, correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, according to the law, intermediary means that you host certain content, you host certain information, but you are not held personally responsible for this um, content on your platform. Um, if you were, you'd be considered a publisher. Now, this is the case because this protects um, social media companies. It protects internet service providers from being held liable for any um, inflammatory or defamatory content that may be on their platform that someone else posted, you know, they, they control um, their platform to the best of their ability, but it protects them from just massive legal risk for hosting all this content that is very hard to monitor constantly. Um, so they revoked this status, which basically opens Twitter up to massive legal consequences, um, po a possible deluge of lawsuits against them because they no longer have this protection under the law. Now, I understand that there is um, a bit more that went behind revoking the intermediary status. It's a little bit confusing to me, including like the new law mandates that Twitter has to have an employee that is an Indian who serves as um, someone who works with the government to remove content from the platform more quickly. So from my perspective, this seems like a way for the government to have more control over um, a private company, one, and two, over a platform that many people use to express themselves and their beliefs and um, their social goals, right? Um, I've seen a lot of really interesting arguments who were pro this decision from the government because they were saying, they, they literally called Twitter's actions neocolonialism. <laughs> no because way. they're saying, because Twitter's like, oh, you know, we're, we don't want to comply with these government orders because we think that this is going to impinge upon free speech. And they're saying, who is, go who is Twitter to say what is free speech for Indian citizens? Okay, we are a sovereign nation who is, that is beholden to the Indian public. You are an American foreign company beholden to your American shareholders. Who are you to decide what is and is not free speech in our, in our country? You know, if you're not complying with the government, what the government asks of you, what, are you above the law? You are within our jurisdiction. Like, are you trying to set a precedent that foreign companies suddenly do not have to be held to the same standard? because you think you have more lofty ideals. Like, so hearing that argument was fascinating. I was like, whoa, when they literally said neocolonialism, I was like, what? <laughs> I, I was listening to, the, I was preparing for the show, listening to this, and this was on um, 
We on News, which I think is technically technically a Pakistani um channel. But uh, it was so funny to me when she said the world neo uh, neo colonialism. Like she did the thing. Like I was yelling it in my own room. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think about the situation in um, India with Twitter in terms of this item? Wait, so people are saying that Twitter is not being consistent, and that somehow, like, like. I don't know where, where was this return to monk said something. I don't know about not being consistent or something. If you can find his comments, because he seems to be anti Twitter on this as well. Like, do you, do you understand his arguments? Because I lost it. Well, oh, okay. People either say that um, it, Twitter is inconsistent because of differences in how they apply rules in the situation in America with the uh, events at the Capitol, like the insurrection. Um, that there are whole that there's different standards going on in terms of um, U.S. politics and how that's enforced on their politics versus India. Um, I I think that there actually is inconsistencies. I think that they were way worse in the American situation, <laughs> and right. you saw a ninth of the backlash that you saw in India for flagging a post as manipulated media. However, I will actually say that, yes, they are inconsistent. We all know that Twitter is inconsistent with applying this type of rule. We are direct victims of this. Excuse me. Wait, not only that. Wait, no, let me finish. Um, You made me lose what I was going to say. No, okay, okay, sorry. You're saying not only uh, we know that Twitter is is inconsistent and not only Oh, that it, this is something that people say in American politics and how Twitter applies rules and penalties against politicians here. They're like, you do this completely inconsistently. This is a common complaint. So, yes, Twitter is inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, me and Susanna should know how inconsistent Twitter is. We both have lost our Twitter accounts because of these inconsistencies. But to claim that this is imperialism, that's like laughable. Uh, Katie? Is saying, do you want to read quickly? Katie is saying, isn't it amazing how the regressive left in the first world ends up aiding the far right in the third world? Well, Katie, those comments that I was saying about the neocolonialism, this was for an anchor that I was watching on, what is this? Um, Weon News? Isn't Weon a Pakistani channel? Like a Pakistani right wing channel? Wait, no. Weon is an Indian multinational English language channel. Okay, so it's an Indian channel. Never mind. I got confused with something else. Um, but it was very interesting to hear like the right-wing pro-government argument on that, which I hadn't before. Um, wait, there was another good comment. Um, here, there was another good comment here. I lost it. Okay, here, read this one. Um, return to Monkey is saying again, Twitter is not consistent. It even let Shala Rashib, a suspended account, make another account within one day with a different username. Yeah, this is a common complaint. Yeah, and again, this is yeah, this doesn't make this not fake. uh, This doesn't make any of this fake news. Like, we're switching completely to all of a sudden now blaming Twitter for having inconsistent rules, which is like, yeah, newsflash. Like, who doesn't know that? And also, like, I don't know what people expect. Of, of, of course, like a company that is based, like, headquartered in the United States and is being pressured by different groups in different ways, 
uh, like for example, one reason why um, Twitter is like banning me and Susanna, even though we didn't break any of these ru the rules, and some people who do break Twitter rules um, are not even banned, is because of the pressure, the different pressure that Twitter as an institution experiences from different sides. This is not, people are like, oh my God, they're not even following their own rules and they're being inconsistent based on their community standards. Like, what do you guys expect? Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't complain and fight back, but like, really, you, you, is this like, you think you think that's like a mystery? Like, they compare it to what happens in in United States, like how Twitter is being more harsh and what the same type of activities in the United States. Would, do you not think that the company that is based in the United States, the the politics and the powers that be are going to be able to pressure this organization at its core more than some institutions or some groups of people within India? Like, of course, right? Like, again, when we see, like, people think, like, they have managed to uncover this, like, hidden secret that, oh, these are the community standards of Twitter, but it's need being applied everywhere evenly. Like the fact that you thought that that's going to be that that you even expected that uh, means that you're so naive that you don't understand that most community standards are applied based on like a lot of them, not most of them are applied based on the pressure that different parties could exert on the entity that is enforcing these uh, these uh, rules. Um, again, that's why me and Susanna were banned, and some people were actually send us death threats or not. Susanna, you have your hand up. Well, in terms of this whole thing about like, oh, Twitter, India is a sovereign nation. How dare you like deign to, you know, know what is the authority of rights for Indian citizens? You're not beholden to them, et cetera, et cetera. Part of the reason why this um, not complying with certain government demands of a social media company is... Um, something that we hear about so much and is such a contentious issue within India in particular. We've seen this increasingly more so in the last several months. Um, I want to just read a small excerpt from this report called um, published at the Brookings Inst no, Brooking Project, um, Anti-Blasphemy Offensive in the Digital Age When Hardliners Take Over. Um, read this report if you can. But corporations are not expected, nor should they be encouraged to set international human rights standards those have already been defined. But social media networks have committed to respect those principles through membership with the Global Network Initiative, or GNI, of which Google and Facebook are fully-fledged members. The GNI, sponsored by firms, NGOs, and universities, was created on a set of principles to prevent internet censorship and protect privacy rights. So several of these big social media companies have actually signed into these coalitions, cooperatives, and almost covenants that they will um, look towards international law in terms of whether they have to comply with government demands in terms of removing their content. Yeah, but they say that, but at the same time, they want to make sure that they don't poke at the bear, which are governments so much that they're going to lose their market share, right? Or even if they're not going to lose their market share to create very unsafe conditions for their staff in those countries like yeah. they could say like oh they could even say that they could even wish that but it's not going to be um you know sometimes these things are not going to be able to 
they're not going to be able to achieve it. Uh, Rifka, did you want to add anything? Are we good? Oh, I was just listening to this because Susanna is a little bit more versed about this. I just wanted to she bring is. up that article about the woman who's the head of the Twitter there got in legal trouble for retweeting something else. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting thing because a lot of these things that happen with social media and privacy and who's responsible, et cetera, all people are coming up with after. Nobody spent any time thinking about how this might affect laws or people or content prior to it. And so it's this whole catch-up game. And at this point, when you have all this money and advertising and all these things, that's who's really running it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Ian is saying Susanna is a legal expert in India. She's becoming closer and closer. To that. No, I'm uh, sure that I got I things wrong when I was discussing I know, exactly but, the tension. It's pretty impressive. The state um, in Twitter right now, because there's more. There's stuff that confused me, like the establishment of this officer that has to be employee, that has to be a citizen. Like they're in failure to comply, and they're going to court. There's more about this that right. I couldn't. Uh, understand well enough to communicate yeah. you to you today. I so it. I'd recommend Faye D'Souza because she's right. great. All right. I, I just want to quickly highlight some other comments before we move on. Satish is saying Twitter should leave India. Uh, Modi and his party needs Twitter more than India needs Twitter. Satish, that is such a naive thing to say. I don't even understand if you believe what you're just saying. You are saying Twitter should let go of the second biggest populated country in the whole world like give up their second largest market. Yeah, just like yeah, let's just give up billions and billions of dollars because like yeah, yeah, this is like it's inconvenient to work in India because of a few legal issues. So let's just say goodbye to a giant market. Like are you serious? Like are these like serious suggestions? Come on guys. Come on guys. Come on. Like of course not like anyways. Um, what if they did, Armin? What if somebody said, you know what? F you guys. We're not going to censor our content because you want us to. We're leaving. I mean, People, what if there were unicorns? who? No, no, no. Let me just finish. Is. Let me finish. I think people would hail them as, no. you know, um, you know, People standing up for you know against censorship and for free expression. Honestly, how, I do. I'm not sure. I'm not saying how, that they will. Can you sell those hails? Can you sell if those hails? If they didn't have offices in India, they wouldn't be subject to their jurisdiction. Right. Yeah, but they could but still they have Twitter. Do, in India. So they are. But my yeah. point is, I I don't think that your point is not necessarily correct. I mean, that's what's motivating most of this. But I just think it's interesting as if they did say, you know what, we're removing our offices. We're not doing, you know, we're not going to be pushed around by people. I just think it's interesting that people might say, yeah, they're standing up for, you know, ex free yeah. expression. I don't think there's a market price for people shouting gay, and I don't think they could sell that for money, right? And that's what it comes down to. It's a for-profit company. I don't think... Exactly. I, unless they could put a market value on people being like, yay, good job, Twitter. Like there needs to be the, the market value of people saying, yay, good job, Twitter has to be higher than the entire market of 
India for Twitter. Like it has to be able to compete with that for that to be. And I don't think it is. I don't think if you do a cost benefit analysis, the entire world cheering on India is not going to bring them more money than them remaining active in, on Twitter. Like they would do a, they have people who do financial analysis on the smallest little thing. So they would know. Uh, Suze, you had your hand up? Um, never mind. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, things that are nice, that might be like nice to do, it would it be nice to do that? Yeah, like, I mean, that's not what corporations um, work on. Like, that's not how people, giant companies, base their decisions on, like making it, even when they make statements on things, even when they jump on movements or they make some, make a, take a position that seems like they're sticking it up to the bullies or standing for what's right, it's because they did a very detailed calculation on the cost benefit, uh, you know, did a cost benefit analysis on uh, whether or not this will, what what this would mean for their bottom line. I mean, there's a reason why they're giant companies. If they weren't thinking like this, they would remain small companies. They would not become giant corporations. That's how they operate. Um, all right, we just read just one more comment before while I get the next news. Um, Katie is saying the government is trying to promote this alternate app called Coup App. It's basically a far right breeding hole now. Yeah, and I know that the uh, Indian government is also trying to like sell this, maybe not literally sell, but like pitch this to the Nigerian government right now. Um, which the Nigerian government has had lots of in increasing um, escalating actions against Twitter. They banned all of Twitter recently um, because I think they deleted a tweet from the president and it's had huge consequences. So these apps that are more highly government monitor more highly monitored by the government um, are going to be increasingly popular. They're trying to copy China. Can you do a China in India? I don't think you can. It's not, you know, you don't have they're that trying. much. Yeah, they're trying, but it's going to be you know, you don't, you haven't, the great thing about India, guys, I'm complimenting India, okay, is that the government hasn't been able to train its people to be obedient, you know, little followers that just keep their head down on such a large scale, like the level of control that we have in China, we don't have in India. So as, as oppressive as these people want to become, or as anti-free speech, I have a lot more hope for the rebellious nature of the new generation of Indians that I have for the future of China. At this point, things could change, right? So as much as we have bad news about India, I don't think India can do a China in India. So um, Iran might, but India will not get there. Rivka? I was thinking about what you were saying about that and kind of almost more of a comparison to some of the uh, USSR states that had state-run media that controlled it and, and what was allowed to be said or what version of things, you know, I know Ceausescu was famous for not letting information in, you know, in the last ends of uh, Romania. So these apps that are controlled by the government, it's like a state run media that is going to dictate what people see and hear and from what perspective which is very similar to, in some way, some of those USSR state chapters. 
India is plugged to the international world, okay? It's fully connected. It's completely like the money flowing in and out, the services that are being sold in India. You can't unplug India from the world. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you can, like, they will, they, India itself will invent new filters that is more, <laughs> that is more um, effective if they ban all of these accounts. Like, they will become such a wide use of filters. Like, you cannot... This is, again, China managed to build everything from scratch, everything internally from scratch. The, again, India, India, the world needs India, and India needs the world, and India is so connected to the rest of the world, and it's going to become more and more connected. It's such a source of wealth and prosperity for its people and for a source of prosperity for the rest of the world. And as more people coming out of poverty in India and getting connected to the internet, this is a tsunami that is coming in India that you cannot undo it. No... No, I'm, I'm glad to say that I don't think any authoritarian regime is going to be able to stand in front of the Indian people and the wealth and the prosperity and the freedom that they're about to bring to themselves and to the rest of the world. Uh, Rivka? I just wanted to say that I thought that your point was really well taken about, oh, well, they'll just invent some way around it. Right. That's usually what happens. You know, every thing that some who's authoritarian or draconian tries to stop it breeds this whole new inventions of ways to get around it using the creativity of the people in the country so yeah i think that that's exactly what will happen yes good 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 okay so i have the next news up is looks like it's clappable is it clappable yeah um, okay yeah and next news Next news, Florida governor signs bill requiring moment for school prayer. On Florida, in, okay, I'm going to start over. Florida governors, <laughs> don't do this to me. No, no, it's cute. Florida governor signs bill requiring moment for school prayer. On June 14th, Florida governor Ron DeSantis attended a South Florida Jewish temple to denounce anti-Semitism and stand with Israel. The Republican governor cloaked himself in religion while signing two bills into law. One would increase the role of volunteer ambulance services, while the other makes Florida one of at least 15 states that compel schools to set aside at least one minute of silence for children to meditate or pray. DeSantis said, quote, it's important to be able to provide each student the ability every day to be able to reflect and to be able to pray as they see fit. The idea that you can just push God out of every institution and be successful. I'm sorry. Our founding fathers did not believe that. End quote. What? DeSantis, DeSantis used the event to promote his support for Israel, which he visited during his first year in office. What a bunch of empty nothingness full of crap. This wait a second. Did students did students not have moments to that were that they could pray before? Like, did they not have like free time where they like constantly like every single like if they wanted to within the free time to go go in the corner or in the cafeteria or somewhere in the class if they wanted to sit privately and just have a moment of prayer with like the with the teachers or the principals chase them down with steak or like no you need to be studying you can't pray here like well 
what like the, the students need a moment to pray like did they not have that in schools they're just saying we're not people are like mix, missing the point they're like what everybody was stopping was you forcing the entire class or entire school to be subjected to your religion nobody was stopping the students to pray at any time they want nobody was stopping them what was being objected to is that you can't have a moment of prayer based on like Christianity or any other religion that every non-Christian student has to be exposed to because you're forcing it on them. Nobody's taking prayer away from your student. You have plenty of time and many places in every goddamn school to go do your prayer at any time you want. You can even raise your hand in the middle of a class to be excused because you you have emergency prayer that needed to be done. You could be like, sorry. Teacher, I need to do pray. I need to pray. I need to go out and pray. Can I go pray? You can be excused. Go through your prayer. Nobody's stopping any of you. What a bunch of crap. What this is such bullshit, Rivka. Well, I think that th your point about how you could at any moment think quietly to yourself a prayer. So they want to have it both ways. They want to say that it's not a forceful praying, that it's just like a meditation or a reflection. But in his signing of the law, he explicitly says that you this is about God. And he's also saying that he wants to be able to make sure that he's controlling the thoughts of, of these students. Because without this legislation, you can think whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. And if that thought is a prayer... You're perfectly capable of doing that without a government-sanctioned moment where the teacher says, now's the time that we're going to inject this into your mind. And so he wants it both ways. Oh, it's not about God and prayer. It's secular so that it's about, it could be a meditation or a reflection, but you can't push God out. So he's admitting that that is the intention behind it. Do, do, do students, okay, even if you don't want to just do it in silence when you're sitting in class, okay? Do students not have free time? Are the classes back-to-back -back with no free time in between? Do you not get free time in schools? You get like well, you, five yeah. minutes between classes. But you don't you even have, need free time. You can just tune no. out the teacher and pray if any moment and okay, any that's time, not my point. Can I? No, but here's the thing. That's not my point. Some people are saying like, no, my prayer involves sitting on my knees, putting my hands like this. This is how I do prayer, okay? It's just sitting down and closing my eyes and thinking, that's not how I do prayer, okay? Well, back, like, in my school, you get, fit you get breaks between classes, and you have lunch breaks. And you have lunch breaks, okay? And here's the thing. You have time before the class. You could show up early. And you have to do your, you can't do your prayer at home. You have to do it at school. Show up early. Okay, you, have, you show up half an hour early. You have half an hour. If you have, if you want to turn your school into a church, show up. Like, pick any corner of the school. There's less students, anyways. Nobody's going to interrupt you. You know, or he, oh, if you can't get up early at bed. Okay, there's not enough break. You you want to spend your lunch break only eating lunch and doing nothing else, and the five minutes between classes are not enough time. Stay half an hour late. How about that? Okay, classes finish. All everything is done. You want to make, you are insisting on praying on school property. Nobody's going to stop you. Just say half an hour extra after the whole classes are over. 
pray in school. Just send me the reports if anybody stops you. I will fight for you. Send me the reports. I'm like, okay, all the classes over. I have enough time, and I'm on school property. I don't want to pray. Just sit in the hall, sit in the class, go in the cafeteria, pick any corner of your school, and pray. Tell me if anybody comes and stops you. Report it to Atheist Republic. Atheist Republic will come and fight on your behalf, okay, if somebody's stopping you from praying. You are set, you are these people uh, like they, they are, their followers are such fucking idiots. Whoever is voting for this idiot, you're a moron because they are fooling you because they're like like their right to prayer. This is not the right to prayer. You're forcing everybody to pray with you. Like people don't like when it's a class when everybody has to sit there. Now you're like, oh, you have to pray. Like um, like now I like you're forcing this on the people who don't want. Nobody is taking prayer away from people who want to pray. You are, are the fucking idiots who are telling people that this is about a right. It's not about a right. This is about you wanting to force prayer on the people who don't want it. It is so obvious. Well, he literally said so. He's like, you can't, he's basically implying that you can't take God out of an institution and be successful. And it's blatantly encouraging prayer because it's also teaching children from a very early age that this is what you should be doing. Well, which and is, which is why they try to pass it off as meditation. Well, yeah, that's what I, they're couching it in this idea of reflection or meditation. But that's not what his intent is because he's clear in what his intent is. You can't get God out of an institution. He's telling you that 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 is what it is. So again, what does so how does this gonna work? How is this gonna work? So school prayer requiring a moment of school prayer on what kind of schools? Every, uh, every I can tell you schools. how it's gonna work because we had it in a lot of my schools. Most of the time they did it in homeroom announcements. And if you're in elementary school, it might be your first class of the day or sometimes for your lunch. But when we had it, when I was in middle school and high school and some schools that I was in, because we moved around a lot, they would just announce, you know, whatever the morning announcements were. And then they'd say, please take a minute of silence. Now, now we pause for a minute of silence. That's how it worked in Catholic school. And so that's it. going to be there in public school. And that was it. And then, you know, this is this is basically uh, guys. This is like a red line, and they're like, "Can we put our toe past this red line? It's just a toe. It's just a toe, like you know." And then once they get past it, they're just gonna open it wide open and just gonna step in. Okay, this is religious. This is re promotion of your religious indoctrination in school. You're just you're being squeezed out, and you want to keep one one foot in. Okay. So you're going to, because it's anti-constitutional, you're going to disguise this as like a moment of silence, a blah, blah, blah. No, there's no need for this. There's absolutely no need for this. If there was only a moment, like think about having a bill that we were like, oh, a moment of silence is necessary. Okay. Well, make silence rooms in schools and let anybody who wants to go there, go there. Okay. Why are you forcing this on everybody? This is you, like the students who are not religious, being exposed to everybody else praying to their, you know, sky daddy next to them. You want to just show them who's the boss. That's what you, you're trying to expose them to what is normal. Like, look at you. You look at everybody around you. Are you not ashamed? Look at them praying to dark sky, daddy, to Yahweh or Jesus or Allah. You are you are the odd one out. You are the odd one out. This is the that is the point of this law. You who are not praying, 
There's something wrong with you. Okay, look how look how you do not fit in. You're and because you're kids, you want to become normal. You want to look like everyone else. You want to compare yourself to everybody around you and notice that there's something wrong with you and you're not fitting in. Okay, this is a moment of silence. But look how all these other people are spending their moment of silence. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong. You're not normal. Anyway, Rivka. Armin, I think you hit on a big part of it too because it's almost a reliance on the children to force other children into compliance or shame them into compliance because kids are mean and kids, you know, want to do what the other kids or they want to single out the kids who aren't. I mean, it happened to my daughter, you know, that some girls at lunch said, you know, whoever, ever, whoever loves Jesus, raise your hand. And she just sat there and they said, you're not allowed to sit with us. You, you know, you don't, you know, and she's crying because all of a sudden all these kids have decided, you know, and it was the kids doing it. And so, but the prayer kind of also puts that, you know, all in the, in the atmosphere and the kids. That's actually a very good point of course even if it's not bullying it, it it's just basically the school deciding that okay this the law the constitution doesn't let us become missionaries at school let's tell let's make turn your friends into missionaries against you right like that's basically they're like weaponizing other students against the and uh, that's usually how it goes because i've had we've had instances like that um before i used to babysit this uh was a nanny for this family and I used to have to pick their kids up at school. And there was a young girl who was being bullied by another girl at school who kept saying, you're going to go to hell. Her parents were, they were pagan. They were witches. You're going to go to hell. Your parents are evil. And it, it, the girl would be crying, the, uh, you know, bullied, constantly harassed. And there wasn't, and I witnessed it and I complained that I saw this and it really took so many times and getting the superintendent involved before somebody did something about it. And these children are, yeah, they're weaponized to indoctrinate their friends and to bully their friends and to, you know, proselytize to their friends. Yeah, and it's going to be harder to repeal because they're phrasing this and they're trying to secularize it by making right. oh, it's or or meditation. So it's yeah. going to be harder to fight. Where, What's like, so interesting is there's so many schools that won't let yoga in because it talks about meditation and that's anti-Christian promoting and, Hinduism. Right. And now they want to they want to promote their Christianity under the guise of meditation, which a lot of schools have outlawed because it's not Christian enough. How about the Satan? We have the Satanic Church in Florida. I'm assuming it's, it's pretty active across the United States. Yeah. So I we need to we need the Satanic Temple, okay, to get active, start a campaign in Florida. Where there's a, you know, it, I don't know what. I need some teenage satanic temple members in Florida yes. to start praying to Satan during your <laughs> moment of so. silence. So you wanna, you wanna, we have to fight fire with oh, fire. You edgy okay? teenage I want, I want us out there. This is your time. This, yeah, is, this your time. is your moment. <laughs> like every like moment of prayer, like every, the students have to realize that there's like always like four or five kids that are gonna put on like a black hoodie and they with their like a pentagon and everything and do a symbol, I don't know, something and start praying. And everybody who objected, like 
This is the law now. This is the law. <laughs> okay. You have to accept I that. get to do this every morning. <laughs> yeah, Why? but the prayer it has to be to yourself, though. That's how they get around this, too. It's like you can't say it out loud. No, no, no. Again, that's what I'm saying. You don't say anything, but you make you 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 bring like white chalk and you draw the like a five-pointed star on your desk and make a circle around it. You put on a black hoodie. And I don't know, you start like making it very clear that this is a satanic prayer, even though if you're being completely quiet about it. Yeah, I think I think that would be let's just norm, let's just make that cool. So like they, I want them to regret this. Satanic temple, come on, do something with this. I want them, I want this to backfire. This needs to backfire. Okay. Edgy yes, exactly. Teens, this is your moment. <laughs> yes, you can't get I more need, edgy than this. <laughs> I need a seventeen-year-old kid who's going through losing their faith and a difficult family who's just going through their angry atheist moment to right, seize right. upon this and help out every child in Florida. Okay, this is yes. your time. You know what? And actually, when you're doing it, look into the eyes of the kids who are doing a Christian prayer. Like look in, like look oh, into God. the eyes while you're doing your own chants. Make it you're seem just like in it's the a corner curse. like this. <laughs> yes. Oh, exactly. Go like this and put it in your hoodie. Do the what is the five pointed star called? A pentagram. The pentagram, right, with the circle. Okay. Go draw the pentagram. Do the star. Look at the ones that are just like make sure you're looking at them. Okay. And go like this, and they're gonna they they make them wish that the 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 moment of prayer was not a thing. They make <laughs> wait, is that a threat? Do not, no, actually that could be that could be dangerous. Yeah, do not intimidate anybody. Just look at them in the eye. All right. <laughs> <laughs> wait, if anybody thinks that's a threat, because they must believe in magic. Like like, do they actually believe that your religion is like a real thing? Like that would be an admission. Anyways, all right. Oh my god, are you uh, kidding me? Like Christians definitely think that like well yeah, not but is it does it have like, legal standing real like demonology? Oh no, okay. of course not. And it goes to somebody for putting a curse on you. <laughs> <laughs> they like, put the I devil have, on me. You have they to put the devil that. on me. <laughs> <laughs> you have to prove damages. Imagine that. Uh, okay, cool. All right, all right. Uh <laughs> that's funny. All right, so can we clap for the next news? Yes, we can, because I always put good news or the best news last. Well, this is not second to last, okay? okay. Well, right. Last of new news. I know, but people news. don't know, and they might just leave because you okay. said last. All right, next news. Next news. Surge of non-believers in Northern Ireland. According to the latest data from the Northern Ireland Life and Times survey, the number of adults in Northern Ireland with no religion is growing. The results of the 2020 survey were published on June 10th. 27% of respondents said that they had no faith, an increase of 7% from 2019. This latest wave means that the overall figure has more than doubled in the last decade, with just 12% saying they belonged to no religion in 2009. Um, the rise of non-religious people in Northern Ireland is also reflected in the growth of humanist traditions. In 2018, humanist marriages were legally recognized. Since then, they have expanded in number, with hundreds of couples choosing a humanist union each year. Northern Ireland Humanists was established in 2016. No, tw 
no, yeah, 2016, uh, to promote humanist values. Its membership has increased by a factor of 10 in just five years, with the organization now representing more than 2,500 uh, 2, people across Northern Ireland. Wait, so Alec is saying Jesus is Lord. Apparently not in Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, how, do you, how is Northern Ireland doing compared to Ireland? That's a good question. Let me look that up. Okay. Because Ireland also had like a major... And also, how is Northern Ireland doing compared to the rest of the UK? That would be interesting to know. Anybody knows? I'm, I'm, well, uh, let me give, give me a second to dig into this. Okay. Well, I think it's interesting considering the legacy of religious violence in Northern Ireland that it might seem like it might be something people are going to be willing to reject since it caused so many problems during the Troubles. And I mean, there were other things too, but a lot of it was, you know, the dividing line was, you know, Protestants versus Catholics. So um, I think it's a good thing. A mazel tov, Northern Ireland. Yes, we're winning. We're winning. Where are the people in the life chat, the Christians in our life chat, that keep saying like atheists are losing? <laughs> so, okay, to answer your question, for the Republic of Ireland, according to a 2016 poll, 10% of the Irish population have no religion. So, but that was like some time ago. I would expect it to have increased in that time period as well. Um, let me look at the religious demographic of UK as a whole. Um, they guys, say that. Oh, yeah, go ahead. We're winning demographically everywhere. Even though politically oh, yeah. we're slow behind um, demographically, like you guys, like religious people, like you guys are losing. You guys are losing big time. Oh, here. Uh, Rivka, you want to say something? I was just going to say that the Humanists of UK, which is a large organization, you know, works also in Northern Ireland and they have like 100,000 members or, or so, I believe. I, I just saw it. I'm sorry. 100,000 member strong organization. Yeah. Humanists UK. Wow. <laughs> Kenji is saying tuck beer. Tuck beer. <laughs> um, atheist, atheist take beer. Oh, so in the entirety of the UK, which obviously includes Northern Ireland, 25% of the population say they have no religion. That is the second highest demographic after Christianity. Christianity comes in at like 60%. No religion comes in at 26%. Um. So, uh, but of course, Northern Ireland is contributing to that demographic. I was trying to find um, precisely for England and Scotland as well for comparison. Okay, don't forget Wales. Right. England has a non-religious demographic according to the 2011 polls. So, I'm it's probably greatly increased since then, but with 25% of the population being non-religious. Okay, so. So England versus Northern Ireland, who who's less religious? Um, wait, what was the Northern Ireland? Well, except that I bet oh, that, the numbers are late. Yeah, yeah, we it's don't from have ten years numbers. ago is what I'm ten seeing years. right wow, here. Wow, ten years is like a life. Yeah, 10 yeah. Years so if that was ten years ago, it was at twenty five percent in England? It's probably like greatly increased right. since then. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, Space Mines is saying, I mean, the UK is getting a surge of believers. I think you're overestimating that. I'm honestly concerned for the future of the UK and Europe generally. Guys, when it comes to surges, yeah, I've talked about Muslims. Guys, when it, when it comes to surges and stuff, when it comes to Muslims, this is not people becoming Muslim. This is just people moving from one place to another. So globe, net, the net effect globally, um, when it comes to conversions, is still in our favor, right? Um, so Muslims are, you know, leaving Islam on such high numbers. So even if you notice like, oh, there's there seem to be more Muslims in my backyard now, that doesn't deny the fact that even in your backyard, a lot of those Muslims are leaving Islam. So, yeah, Suze? I would just like to say that it is my great people of Scotland who come in as the least religious um. at, in 2011, coming in at almost 37 percent. I are you proud? Yes, I am. <laughs> this is a... <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> religion has the power. It is. It is religions to lose. Yes, you're right. They are yeah, exactly the the law of return to mean means that we have the advantage. They are such. Uh, what? I don't know. Just, they are doing it to themselves. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, we're winning, guys. Well, we're all the religious people that were like ch chanting Jesus, and we're atheists are losing. Where are they? They're not here anymore for this news. Base Scotland. Okay, guys, it, this is some anti-Irish and English supremacy by Suze. I have to call it out. I'm sorry. What are you talking about? <laughs> Those are all my ancestry. Okay, no, for the record. No. Um, excuse me. You know what they've been through. Which, which was, one of the three silence. of us is chosen? <laughs> I can't even say, I can't even comment on this because my, if I say anything, I would be canceled. <laughs> like if you know what I mean, uh, because the, the A people might. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow! Look at this, guys. This is like. Anyways, I'm not gonna say anything. I see. I can't even joke about these things. YouTube is gonna get me wrong. All right, I can't. I can't. I'm not good. I'm gonna stay safe. Okay. There's some things I want to say, but I'm. I'm being. <laughs> Joanna saying I'm 33 percent chosen. <laughs> <laughs> She's yes. the third MOT. <laughs> oh my yes. gosh! Should that be our new uh, code <laughs> for our lexicon of? Um, code that we have to use for the YouTube algorithm. So who is no, I actually heard that YouTube is now getting um, aggressive on people who use codes. Like, for example, getting sensitive to in Minecraft, for example, like they notice that if you use that too much, you might signal something. Or if people saying we're using coded language, they're like, okay, we need to look into the people who are I don't know if this is true, but they might have algorithms that are sensitive to people. That's that are... so much extra work <laughs> on top of all the work of policing <laughs> all the other language. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, guys. Um, we should move to the actual final news. Right? Yes. Guys, okay, this is, so... this is historic, okay? This is historic. Wait, should we... Give a is this a trigger warning thing though? Because we do that. Oh, yes, Muslims. Thing? guys, if you're mm. a Muslim and you watch our show, you might want to look away, okay? 
the next what I'm about to show is very blasphemous, more blasphemous than anything that ever anybody has ever created in the history of blasphemy against Islam. Okay, so just so that you know, give you enough trigger warning. So you know how most people associate blasphemy against Islam as depiction of Muhammad. Okay, so who's above Muhammad? That's where we're going. We want to do extra blasphemy. We want to do blasphemy. We're taking free. it to the source. We're blasphemy it. plus blasphemy plus. We want to like take it to the <laughs> highest authority, the highest authority <laughs> that we could. Okay, blaspheme. Yes. <laughs> all, right. all right. So trigger warning to all guys. Do not tell it. See, people who say you guys are just trying to offend Muslims. We're not. We're giving. We're being fair. Like we're giving them trigger warnings, right? Any Muslim or Christian or Hindu who sees content from us that offends them is because they decided to come see it, right? We want to make sure that if we make something that is offensive, we don't force it on anybody. That's why we have trigger warnings, okay? You, you, if you see our stuff, it's because you choose to see it. So don't be like, why are you offending people? We're not. You're offending yourself. You're here. You don't have to be here, okay? We, yeah, so trigger warning to all the Muslims. Um, do not, okay, all good, you're gone. Okay, if you're still here, get ready. Okay, can we, I'm gonna cut. Next news. Next news. What does Allah look like? Allah depicted in 4K <laughs> for the first time. Um, so if you guys just give guys some background um so most people even most muslims like don't really know or understand that there is a great debate within islam about the actual appearance of allah so there are certain sunni um schools of thought that are very literalistic the hanbali school and they do not accept any metaphor in terms of interpreting scripture there's no form of metaphor. If this is what it says, this is what it is. And so according to Islamic scripture, Allah has a physical form and presence that looks something like this. Um, and Atheist Republic has decided to depict Allah for the first time in our Blasphemous Art Project. And I have to say the result is glorious. I have a right. question. Does Allah six pack, is that in the depiction? No, in Quran, <laughs> we just assume that if Allah has abs, it has to be a six pack. But the parts that are accurate to Islamic scripture, um, is he, he has two right hands, guys. Again, I know a lot of Muslims. This is this is a completely foreign idea to to the vast majority of Muslims who do not know their own um, the history of Islam as well as uh, we do, right the people do, who do not follow the difference between the Hanbali school of thought and a lot of the Salafis compared to the other Islamic school of thought, they don't understand that. They think like there's no, uh, that God doesn't have any shape and God is aware at all times. But this is uh, the most exported and promo uh, promote globally promoted version of Islam is the one that does consider everything in the Quran as extremely literal with no metaphoric interpretation, okay? So, for example, one of the most famous Islamic preachers of all time, which is Zakir Naik, um, you could even go look at some of his speeches. When he, when, when somebody in the audience asks, like, 
well, God is everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And and he said, he, he picked up the Quran and he said, like, nowhere in this book says that, says that Allah is everywhere. Like, that's your understanding. Because they want to go exactly by the wording of God. They think, like, if you, when, when, the, when in the Quran it says Allah's hand, that's a literal hand. That's not Allah's power. Because if you say Allah's power, you're saying you're putting your interpretation on God's word. If if Allah wanted to say power, he would have said power. The God's words are clear. So when Allah said Allah's hand, he means a literal hand. When Allah, when the Quran says Allah's leg, it means a literal leg. So if you analyze the Islamic scripture, Islamic the Quran, according to the to the Salafis, um, and with, in the most literal interpretation, you could see that Allah has two right hands. Right, so you can see that it, here Allah has two right hands. Uh, the Quran specifically says that Allah is above His throne, so Allah is on His throne. It doesn't say Allah is everywhere. According to the Salafis, Allah has influence everywhere, but He's not everywhere. He's on His throne, according to the Quran itself. Above it, because above nothing it. is higher than Allah. Yes, yes, and, and they say that's a literal throne. That's not a metaphor. That's a literal throne. Okay, so. Um, Susanna, do you know the reasoning behind the, the way that the leg looks? That because it's like one because well, the Quran it mentions that he has one shin. One shin, yes. They so describe it, a great shin. Yes. Allah's a mermaid. Yeah, people. <laughs> um, um, what? No, what's it called? A merman. Merman, yes. <laughs> Merman, so, guys, uh, uh, we actually went and did a detailed discussion on this debate. This is a fight within the Islamic uh, school, different Islamic school of thought. Like this is not, this has been a theological battle between different, not sex, but schools of thought. Okay, because if I say sex, you might think like Shia versus Sunni. This is not Shia versus Sunni. This is Sunni versus Sunni, but not of different sects. They're all the same sect but different schools of thought, most specifically Hanbalis versus everyone else, right? And this has been a battle over the image of God and what God look, what Allah looks like. This has been a battle that has been going on for 1,200 years. And this is something that most Muslims, the vast majority of Muslims, are unaware of this ideological battle. Uh, me and Susanna actually highlight some of these battles, some of the speeches, some of the highlighting of different uh, scripture and this ideological battle between different Islamic schools. Um, we we did a live stream on this. Uh, is it linked in the description? Um, and in, in the description, I have a link to what we put on Patreon earlier today, right. which is the exclusive "Not Safe for Work" version. Um, but no, earlier in the chat, I posted a link to our full discussion on this. Okay, okay. So we will. Uh, we I'll go after the stream is over. I'll add a link to. to so if you want to see why Allah is depicted this way. Uh, it's not it's not random like this is based on um hundred years worth of debate and you can see it's it's actually very interesting and it's very funny if you want to see the full discussion and the full highlighting of different people within Islam even to, to this day about whether Allah has a, a looks like something or it doesn't uh, watch that video it's about two hours long so only if you're interested in the details. Okay, I'll make sure I'll make sure after the stream is over, I'll go include that link to that video. But if you um, guys would like to see the not safe for work version, right? That we released earlier today, the link to that is in the description. Um, so our Patreons get it first, and um, if you support us there, then you get all of our art first. Then we have a safe for work version 
that is you see here that is going to be in our news pay, newsletter that we will be sending out shortly. So guys, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter link in the description because um, that is where you get a free ebook of all of our blasphemous art and weekly updates and emails of art such as this as it comes through the pipeline. And <laughs> so make sure that you subscribe and stay subscribed. Yeah. So Glenn is saying, love the details. Yes. Shout out to our artist. She's amazing. True. Look at this. Look at the Allah symbols. Around Wait, there was a hilarious comment by Puya, which just speaks to our point that this is working. Puya is saying, is it bad that I'm considering going back to Islam and worshiping this hunk? <laughs> like, this is how you know we are killing it in our mission. <laughs> Yes, guys, like, look, our blasphemy is a celebration. A lot of people are saying, why are you mocking religion? Are we, are we, like, is this, like, mockery? Like, look at this. It's gorgeous, right? Look at what we're doing. Like, how's, okay. Allah uh, looks good. Looks good. Somebody was asking, <laughs> I think we already answered. Somebody was saying, why does he look like a mermaid? It's not a mermaid. It's a mer like, you mean merman. Um, the reason... The reason is because, uh, like, people keep mentioning that it says that Allah has one shin, right? So that's why when some people try to figure out, well, what, what does one shin mean? This is what they understand. By the way, this is the first depiction of Allah, isn't it? Like, I've seen, it, like, cartoons. Yeah, okay, so we've seen, like, little drawings that, like... Or, like, little copy-paste. Copy-paste. Like, but when it comes to an actual art piece... But, but, you know, I think this is a moment in history. This is the first depiction of Allah in, in this detail in history. Like, for 1,400 years after the beginning of Islam, nobody did this until Atheist Republic came along. This, again, this, this needs to be its own chapter in the history of blasphemy, okay? We're making, not, you know what? Not even in the history of blasphemy. Even in the history of Islam itself, we need to have a chapter, okay? All right. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome, Islam. Um, all right, cool. Um, yeah, I'm gonna if you're subscribed, I once drew subscribe. a <laughs> I once drew a stick figure of a lot long ago. Don't highlight that. This is historic. I, if you're subscribed to our newsletter, you're gonna get this email to you soon, along with a lot of other blasphemous art. And if you're a patron, uh, you've already seen the not safe for work nude version of this so congratulations to all the people who are already our patron if you're not again like sue said become a patron if you if you want to see the nude version um all right guys thank you i have a question because he's all uh, i'm assuming he is uh very he's very endowed yes yes, <laughs> yes. is he circumcised of course yes <laughs> he's muslim <laughs> Uh, actually, he started off Jewish. That's what started this all, right? Craziness, right? Oh, Yahweh. Yeah. Then you get Jeebus. Then you get this guy. You're welcome. No. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, I love, I love this a lot so much. I was telling our artists that I want like almost a little chibi, like cartoon version of him. That's just like yes. a little cutesy kawaii version of Allah. <laughs> like I'd be so perfect. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you guys for joining today. Make sure you like this video, subscribe, and tune in next week. For the news yeah. with Armin, yes. Susanna, and Rivka.
And later this week, Armin and I will be having a live stream about the Iranian elections. So Ooh, yes, we're it's going to be juicy. Guys, it's getting scary. Susanna is becoming more aware of Iranian like politics than me. <laughs> And I'm more aware I'm, of Shiism than you. I'm coming yeah, for like, you. It's like I am, I'm intimidated right now. Like it's like sometimes. Okay, like, yeah, insane. Like, yeah. No, <laughs> some questions are like I haven't seen that yet. Like hold on. Like just give me a tough time. I was like, okay, the turnout for the po- the polling numbers in the election is this. I'm like, oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting crazy. All right, guys. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.